This is another Red FM podcast. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, for more podcasts, check out redextra.ie. It's full of great Red FM content. Morning all. Uh, very sad news, of course, out of Killarney at the start of the week with Miriam Burns, dead at the age of 75, battling her attacker, they say, uh, valiantly before succumbing to severe head and facial injuries. And the papers update us on that this morning. Uh, Granny murdered in her own home, fought for her life as she was beaten and strangled. And the papers this morning say that a man arrested and questioned by Gardy on suspicion of her of her death has been released without charge. That means now that the Gardaí will do their work, they'll prepare a file, they'll then send it to the DPP, um, and then the DPP will decide what happens next. The man who is uh, in his 50s, apparently, and known to the deceased, was questioned for three days in connection with the killing of the woman who was hailed as Killarney's smiling lady. So sad. Another very sad story of, uh, you know, a Cork mother of two who died tragically. It's a story in the Examiner today. She died tragically after collapsing during a charity hike in the Scottish Highlands. Well, she will be repatriated to be buried here in Ireland. Laura Marcellin, 44-year-old healthcare worker who lived in Kilworth in County Cork, uh, collapsed on Saturday as part of the Great Wilderness Challenge. It's very sad. One of the more bizarre stories that I was reading yesterday has to do with a family who bought um, a few different suitcases at an auction uh, at a storage facility. The suitcases, I suppose, would it be suitcases that weren't being collected and stuff that was being sold off at auction or what have you? Uh, but they brought them, bought them, and they brought them home. It's a story out of New Zealand this morning. And they found the remains of two children inside the suitcases. It's absolutely awful. The two children were aged between 5 and 10 and had been dead for a number of years. Could you imagine opening suitcases? And that's the sight that beholds you. It's absolutely awful. Paper-wise this morning, um, you know, the, the workplace is a very changed environment for the better now. Uh, and certainly, I think, it's getting better and better for women when you compare what women in the workplace had to put up with back in the 80s, and I remember it. So there's a story of a female finance executive who won an age discrimination claim, and a lot more besides that when you read the actual details of the tribunal. Her younger male boss uh, would say things to her like, calm down, don't let the hormones get out of control. I mean, that would, a woman would see red if somebody would say that to him. Uh, so Elise Mc, Louise McCabe was having none of it. Um, he was, she was described as, by him as a menopausal woman and would remake the remarks uh, during uh, heated exchanges at company meetings, apparently. Uh, eventually, her boss, who I think might have owned the company as well, an IT company, he stripped her of her role as company director and eventually fired her. And he fired her because she was trying to raise concerns about how staff were being treated in the company. Now, she is in line for compensation after successfully suing uh, for age discrimination and unfair dismissal. Never mind the comments about being hormonal and what have you. But there is a one in the mail this morning that says uh, that talks about issues involving um, yeah, um, menopause. Um, like, for instance, and, and other ones like that. They talk of uh, more and more women who, um, you know, come out of the blocks and start their career and they go for it as best they can. But there's research out now saying by the time women get to their 40s, more and more of them saying, I've had enough. Uh, and they compare how women feel in their career in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s. And by the time they get to their 40s and just slightly above it, they say that they um, would be no longer prioritizing their career like they would in their 20s or 30s, that they no longer want at that age to have it all, trying to continually combine professional success 
and family life. Uh, so that's the day, that's the age they're putting at it, somewhere in and around uh, the early 40s. Uh, but the issues involving menopause, I might come back to that this morning because there's more in the papers regarding that. But the issue I mentioned yesterday with regards to Fianna Fáil and the Greens want an increase in uh, dole payments. Fine Gael want none of it because they say there's plenty of work around and that would be a dis- disincentive for people to come off the dole if the dole was higher. And uh, they, the idea is that it would go up by 15 euro. The problem, of course, is that all too often people equate wrongly uh, the dole with freeloaders and the amount of freeloaders on the dole is a small proportion by comparison to people who really need it for lots of different reasons, including the fact that the central bank is going to put up interest rates again uh, next month. And that could mean they're saying an additional uh, €1,640 Euro a year in repayments for uh, people on different types of mortgages. Um, and that's not good news, considering the price of things as it is. You know, also the papers uh, pick up on a story that's never too far away on Lee's side when it comes to, well, let, let's just say antisocial behaviour plaguing uh, buses and what bus drivers have to put up with. So it's not just Cork. Um, they have it also in Dublin. They have it on the Lewis. They have it on the Dart. They have it on buses. And of course, sometimes it can be homophobic attacks on passengers or indeed attacks on bus drivers themselves. So some of them in the Independent this morning talk about that. One bus driver said, I had a passenger who completely lost it kicked my cab door, bent it, and told me he was going to kill me. Another one, two or three nights ago, someone threw a brick and broke the door off one of the buses. Luckily, the brick didn't hit anybody. Another one, people expect us to get off our seat and throw people off, but they could start fighting with us, and we as drivers never know if they have a knife. We actually don't know what they could be carrying. So that's the kind of violent outbursts and the uh, kind of threats uh, and safety issues that bus drivers have to put up with. There's another bus-related story makes the Echo today. It has to do with tourists on tour buses, apparently. Uh, the Echo says that uh, tourists visiting Cork have expressed frustration with some aspects of the city in particular. Now, they do praise uh, parts of their visit to Cork, but apparently some of them cannot believe how bad our graffiti is. Others are wondering about our questionable landscaping, and even more are talking about how the lack of public toilets in Cork City is affecting people. One tour driver said, I have elderly ladies on the bus almost crying because they can't find anywhere to, anywhere to use the bathrooms. There's a full extensive story on that in the inside pages of this morning's Echo. Uh, and it's always good to look at uh, Cork through the prism of others or those that are visiting. See also that uh, people going to Electric Picnic can get their pills checked. Um, they plan to pop any, and God knows they do. Uh, lots and lots of drugs at festivals. So they figure that the HSE thinks it would be safer to check the drugs first and people can come along and present them and say, is this is this safe to pop? Is this safe to smoke? Is this safe to ingest? They figured it will reduce harm. I suppose it's got to be a big thing, good thing because uh, we're certainly not winning the battle with regards to trying to stop people from popping drugs and popping pills. Um, Lana was talking about chocolate and a new chocolate bar uh, that uh, has got some mystery ingredients in it. It's a very disturbing story making uh, the mirror today with regards to child labour. Now, some of the chocolate giants are trying to get a handle on it, but it still continues. And by all accounts, there are two African countries that produce the most of the cocoa that goes into our chocolate. Uh, Western African countries like Ghana and the Ivory Coast. About 70% of the world's cocoa comes from both those country, uh, countries. But data out this morning says there are millions of children in forced labour, in cocoa production in these two African countries, producing 70% of the world's cocoa that's going into the chocolate that we eat. 
child labour. It's very disturbing and many of them start work at a very young age and they're forced out to support their families who are beyond poor. Uh, Other children then apparently are abducted by traffickers who then sell the children to cocoa farmers for like $35 a child. 70% of the cocoa comes out of those two countries and we're consuming and eating it. It's awful, isn't it? And then, you know, people like their pleasures, I suppose. And I just can't get my head around this story uh, that's coming out of Finland at the moment. There's this video of the Finnish Prime Minister, Sanna Marin. um, And now she's being asked, well... If you were partying like you were partying, you must have been on drugs. So we now want you to take a drug test. Apparently, there were some videos released of her having a really good time partying and dancing, having a great laugh with all of her friends. Apparently, she's a really good prime minister. Uh, really good. And there's no problem with her work. But it's when she parties, people seem to get all upset about it, like as if you can't have a good time. They're now saying that in the video, the audio on it has uh, people in the party shouting flower flower, which apparently is slang for cocaine. And on that basis, the opposition leaders come on saying, well, now she needs to take a drug test. Um, she's, of course, said that she didn't take any drugs. Uh, she was drinking. But, but, but what is she guilty of? Having a good time? <sighs> Party girl, but great at her job. I, I mean, the drug aspect of it, I know nothing about. But the rest of it, you wonder why people get so hit up when someone's just having a bit of a laugh. It's far from a laugh what people have to put up with seagulls these days. And you know the way it is with your bag of chips or your ice cream comb. They're swooping down on top of you as you're trying to have your grub or if you're eating al fresco outdoors. There's a warning in the mirror today to be extra vigilant because this is nesting season, apparently. And they're even more aggressive now during the nesting season. So you're warned. Uh, text 0868104106. There's lots more besides that, which I'll come back through at the course of the morning. But, um, ladies and gentlemen, yesterday, uh, Brown Thomas opened their Christmas shop uh, on Leaside. Now, they opened it also in Dublin and Limerick. So don't you think that it's... Uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look in the five and ten Listening once again With candy canes and silver lanes aglow I, I don't know whether that actually qualifies as the first Christmas song of 2022, but there are 127 days to go, which is four months, and BT have opened their Christmas shop with 127 days to go. And apparently the staff in BT on Patrick Street, according to the Echo, are saying stock is already flying off the shelves. And they're saying that shoppers are in festive spirit, four months out from the big day. And I would imagine that the staff are also in great form. It might wear off, though, as we head across October, you know. I mean, God knows Christmas is long enough as it is without, you know, starting before even Halloween has arrived. But it's here nonetheless. Um, and we got a lot of texts and comments on the arrival of Christmas. Christmas isn't Christmas anymore. It's all about buy, buy, buy. Grab stocks while they last. What happened to the actual Christmas spirit uh, and being together as a family and no stress? Whereas Christmas is just all stress all year round now, Neil. Summer isn't even over yet. What in the name of God is the world coming to us, so sure. And Laura says, I just buy Easter eggs at Christmas and then by Easter I'm getting ready for Christmas. <laughs> Who cares? Consumerism is the best thing these days. <laughs> Laura loves consumerism and a long run into Christmas. December should be wiped off the calendar. It's just so commercial now. It's not about family anymore. 
Try working in retail. Try walking in our shoes. <laughs> Good luck to you. Anyway, there's lots more. Guineas, you know, started theirs in July. Brown Thomas just opened theirs in August every year. But Guineas is way ahead of them. Sure, look, if it helps people to pick things up in bits and pieces week by week, what's the harm in it? And always remember, says Ashling, if you don't like it, you don't have to shop there. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Uh, fair play. Just a bit of a warning for you. From time to time, we have all sorts of different critters on our streets and our roads. And there's goats loose around Leisureplex in and around the McCurtain Street, Summerhill North area. Apparently, they come down from high up the hills or wherever they come from. So a bit of a warning for you. The goats loose again around Leisureplex and Ronan says, I just nearly hit one. It's very dangerous. And bear that in mind. There were a lot of other visitors on Leaside actually. Yesterday, all of the Rose of Trilly roses were in Cork and they were doing a bit of a tour and good luck to them in the Rose of Trilly, particularly the Cork Rose. And fair play. See that the Roaring Forties played a gig for them last night. So well done to George and all of the gang. Um, very sad news because I got the finest fish and chips in there about a year, year and a half ago in the Fishwife on McCurtain street and I got a lovely note in uh, from Caroline and all of the gang. It's very sad because it was a super little uh, fish shop that did the greatest food for takeout. It was really delicious uh, and I got a, a little note in from them saying, Neil, if you could just please take a couple of seconds to thank the people for me, I would be most grateful um, and, the, and, the, and the, the sentiments that Caroline wanted to pass on were, to all who pass through our little shop, I would like to say thank you uh, for providing us with a living and laying the foundations for a wonderful journey. The friends we made, Nora, Leslie, Big Frank, to name but a few, will hold a place in the Fishwife family forever. The success of the Fishwife was so truly because of the crew who worked it, always shoulder to the wheel, some great friendships were forged, and I'm forever grateful for a fantastic crew. Cork, you took me in, let me build a business, a family and a home, and for this I am eternally grateful. I thank you. So for one last time, I'll ask salt and vinegar. We did ask, it's lovely, and it's so sad, because it's so beautifully written and so gorgeously put, to be saying goodbye. We asked as to why are you closing, and they said, it's just simple maths and uncertainty going forward. And we wanted to close on a high note when we could still provide what people were used to, she said. So I wish you all the best going forward. Uh, and thanks for the great food. And you never know, you may rise again somewhere else. And if you do, stay in touch and let us know. I got a lovely greeting. And you know that gorgeous conversation yesterday with Jean and with Eileen and Jean's wife, Mary, that lovely reconnection on air. We shared it with media and it's a story that's flying online and it's just gorgeous. And hopefully they will all get together at the Metropole for afternoon tea. It was just a beautiful moment uh, listening to people catching up after 18 years. Um, of course, Jean was a good friend of Eileen's late husband and that tacker, and that's how all this started. Got a lovely email in from New Zealand, from Terry. Greetings from New Zealand, Neil. My name is Terry Murphy. I'm Eileen's son. I just wanted to write this email in connection with your show yesterday morning. I was so happy that my man was able to reconnect with Jean. I think on both parts, it's the best thing that could ever happen. Jean's story really touched me. I had tears. 
It was so nice to hear the stories of the olden days. I never got to meet Gene, but hopefully if we get back next year, we can reach out to himself and his beautiful wife, Mary. I would love to hear what they got up to back in the day. Really, though, I just want to send my heartfelt appreciation for what you and the backroom staff and your program do for the people of Cork. You're a blessing. Well, thank you for that. It's a pleasure to be able to... And it's not... It's it's not a, it's not a chore actually, you know, Gene. The, the thing or Terry, the things that we do, I enjoy doing it, and the gang enjoy doing it. Now, Gene will hopefully, and Mary too, will hopefully get the need that they need for himself and his wife, and they can lead a fuller life. Uh, the poor fella has been through the wars by the sound of it. Keep doing what you're doing. It's like a breath of fresh air. Up the rebels, bye says Terry in New Zealand. Well, good morning to you, Terry, or good evening to you, whatever the case may be. Um, I hope there will be a reconnect. I think there will be. And if it can happen in the Metropole, the Metropole, I mean, think about it. Your mam worked in the Metropole. Think about it. Jean and Mary got married in the Metropole many years ago. So it would be good if they were to meet, that they would meet there. So I'll update you when I have an update on that story. Listen, it's a free food Friday, so text who you are and where you are to 086-810-4106. Curtis of ourselves and Roosters Piri Piri Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park will be feeding 15 of you this afternoon. But you got to text who you are and where you are to 086-810-4106. If you don't mind, I would just like to pick up on some conversations uh, that I halted yesterday because I was chatting with Jean and indeed with uh, Eileen. Uh, and this one by email. Please don't mention my name as I am so afraid that I lose my family. But I was listening to your conversation with Marion on air. Marion's a 24-year-old girl who at the age of 22 went to a party, slept over in a bed and was raped. Listen to your conversation with Marion where she said she was passed over to mental health services and they tried to diagnose a mental illness after her traumatic experience. They did not want to listen to her. I can tell you she's absolutely dead right when she said that. I was raped throughout my teens. I actually had to fight back myself at 16 when I finally found the courage. When I went to my... Imagine that over a period of... uh, Um, four or five years, I think. I went to my local GP. I received absolutely no counselling. I was told that I had a mental health issue and got sent to mental health services. They actually didn't want to know anything about the years of sexual abuse I suffered. They didn't have any interest in that part of my story. They only wanted to know my symptoms so that they could medicate me. The system is broken. It doesn't care about the victims, only about how to get the problem to go away fast. And there are women who, just after such horrendous traumatic incidents, are treated by the state as an issue and not a victim who needs listening to and help. I felt so angry listening to Marion. I felt I had to email to you. So I hope you can read this out and let people know that Marion is absolutely right in what she was saying. It is happening and it is happening quite a lot. Um, And another thing that's happening that a lot of the time uh, is kind of not spoken about enough and it's male rape. Um, we do hear of rape, of course, with regards to men, but we don't hear as many stories about men being victims of rape as we do women uh, suffering traumatic attacks, sexual assaults and rape. And on that basis, I want to have a conversation with Anthony. Um, I didn't know this about Anthony. Indeed, in fact, I've been talking to him on the air for many, many, many years. Anthony, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you, I'm my good. old friend? Uh, good, pal. And in all the years that we were chatting, of course, you never brought this up, but felt that this would be a good time, I believe, yeah? Yeah, well, when I heard the two ladies that you were speaking to over the past few days, I thought, you know, this has to be highlighted. And I know this is come, going to come as a shock to a lot of people that know me, but 
I just showed the sunny side up and I just went on about my life but it was horrific and I just I I don't know I don't know how I coped you know it happened to me and then after that shortly after that um, my brother died and then within six months of that my mother died then I had to move house and everything I was working I was training as a psychiatric nurse I was in Brookfield Health and Science Complex and I was in my second year and I got absolutely no help from them I went to the CUH I was referred there by my doctor my doctor my GP is absolutely fantastic he was family GP he my late parents he was the GP for them as well but as a result of my rape, I was just walking along the street. Could I just wind back? Uh, and you, you were doing psychiatric nursing. Um, you were on placement in a, a psychiatric setting and were moving a patient, a violent patient or, or, or something like that, was it? Yes, Andy? yes. You, yes. And a, you and another psychiatric nurse were doing that and that was fine. You, you did the task, but a couple of years later when you were fourth year psychiatric training, you were just walking in the city, was it? Well, I'll tell you, I won't say the area. I was just walking down the street, minding my own business, and the next thing, I was just pushed into the ground, and there was a load of broken glass, so my face was destroyed, and he just had to turn on me because... Because of my work. He had recognized and, uh, you, you believe? Yeah. Yes, okay. yes, he did. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So Now he's dead as well, so good riddance to bad rubbish. But So pushed you to the ground, face first into glass, and then proceeded, I don't mean to upset you, but let's just say it for, for one time, raped you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I think, you know, we... Uh, it was absolutely horrific and I didn't tell anyone I didn't trust anyone and as a result of the rape I developed an STI and I had to go over to the Victoria Hospital every week and So to people who may not know that would be a sexually transmitted infection yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so you went to the South Infirmary wasn't it for lots of different treatments yeah. and I ended up in the end I had to have surgery in the South Infirmary because they said no and that's not going to go away and well people I'm not going to bring it up but it was horrific and then I went back and I just like I said I never trusted anyone I never told anyone I'm telling everyone now but I'm telling it in a positive way that you can come out the other end. Yeah, but it was a long road because there were all sorts of issues that kicked in after this. Clearly the death of your brother. I remember chatting about that. He he had his own yeah. issues, the misfortune with addiction. You were very close to him. You tried yeah. to sort his life out numerous, numerous times. You were always there for him and sadly it didn't work out. He passed, your mother passed, you became a recluse, turned to... Yes. Turned to the drink, I believe? Yes, yes. 
and I just thought, oh, you know, you can't do this anymore. And like it's 10 years later, 10 years later now, Neil, and I still have flashbacks. I still have PSD. And I was referred to the mental health services. And I thought, oh, my God, this is absolutely, this is just shocking. Like they just don't want to know. I was told by the psychiatrist she's gone now. She's retired. Okay, thankfully. I don't. That's fine. Leave I won't me, mention her yeah, name. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. I'm of course yeah. not. Yeah, I'm very savvy that way. Yeah, but she's retired now. But she said, "Oh well, I can't give you a new life," and only for my GP, our family doctor, I wouldn't have survived. But. I would say to that girl, you know... they say you know, things like that? Uh, you know, there's somebody else during the, during the week who, a woman who went through a similar sexual violent attack and rape, she was told she was an attention seeker. I mean, they're really yeah. hurtful things to say to people. They dismiss it. Okay. And just take this, take that, take the other, take this tablet, when? take this tablet, take the other tablet. A tablet to put you to sleep, a tablet to wake you up. And... It's just masking the issue. And it was just absolutely horrific. And when I went in, and I was studying, like I said, to be a psychiatric nurse, and they were absolutely no help either. I went into them and I said, look, this has happened. My my mother has died. My brother has died. It's a six-month span between the two of them because my mother couldn't get over the fact that my brother died. And then I just said that to them and they said, well, yeah, well, there's nothing we can do. Um, You'll have to come back next year and reapply again. So that was studying psychiatric nurses. And after, after this happened, this rape, did you go to the guards? No, no. Was there... Reasons why? I think it was probably... I was beating myself up and I was saying, right, you should have been able to defend yourself. Like, I mean, I'm six foot two. I'm not a... I thought I should have been able to defend myself and they'll never take it seriously. The, the business then, of men don't get raped, the claim, men don't get raped, is it? Or Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I thought, no, I couldn't go through that. Or the, you, you say you should have been able to defend yourself. That kicks into the shame that forces people like you to keep quiet about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is why I'm talking to you now, which is very hard for me to do because yeah. there was only one person in my whole family and that was my niece. That helped me. And after I had surgery, she collected me from the hospital mm. and everything. But other than that, nobody ever knew, but everybody knows now. Yeah. And uh, you know something? I really don't care because I think it's important to speak out about these things. And you think I would be the life and soul of the party and I've been in contact with you for how many years? Many years. And... Everyone would think that everything is fine with Anthony, but Anthony still has nightmares and Anthony still thinks back about these things. And, you know, but you have to move on. 
you have to. You don't be a victim, be a survivor. And do you get out more now? Because I know there was long periods where you were you describe yourself as agoraphobic. You you Yes. You, yes, you just stayed yeah. indoors. Yes. Yeah. Has, has that improved? Oh yes, I do get out, but I'm still kind of wary about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, but like I said, I've come out the other end, more or less, but I had absolutely no help from someone that was trying to work in the psychiatric services. I worked in a treatment centre for three years. I listened to everyone's problems, two meetings a day. Did you give up that career path? Yeah, because I wanted to go into psychiatric nursing. Yeah, no, I'm saying you gave up the career path of psychiatric nursing, did you? As a consequence of all, of yes, that? yeah, because the way I was treated, and I thought, right, it's a, a bachelor of science degree, and it's a level eight, mm. and I thought, you know, half of them that I was studying with, no disrespect to them, but. They had absolutely no interest whatsoever, like, you know, and it was just going in there and, you know, I think nursing should be, it was nothing like I thought it was going to be, but I think nursing should be more hands-on, learn on the job, otherwise you're not going to learn. We had dummies, dummies down in Brookfield. And they were the patient, and you were t- given an exam on that, mm-hmm. and this, that, and the other. How you? So do you think that them. some people take that kind of career path that they're not suited to, and then unfortunately, within the medical profession, then it can lead with some without any compassion, because compassion is yes. very important in medicine. Definitely, it is, and especially in psychiatric nursing. Yeah. Do you feel you any? Know, but do you I f- just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you feel I any? Just, be- I, I, Neil, I, I just couldn't believe it. I thought, this should be more realistic. This you, should be more hands-on. It was nothing like I expected. I know the man who raped you is now dead, but did you ever see yeah. him again? No? no? No, thank God, no. Okay, okay. yeah. And do you feel any and better now? Do you feel any better now? Kind of unburdening? Sharing? Of course I do. And if I think if there's other men out there, I'd like them to come forward as well. You know, and it is nice, you know, like that lady that you spoke to years ago. And she spoke to you the other day and she said, you helped her an awful lot. You're helping me an awful lot. And I hope that other men out there that are suffering in silence will open up as well. Okay, okay. Okay, Pat. I can do no more than that, you know. I know. So your road to recovery was all done by you? Basically, yes. Yeah. But do you still have those nightmares or does it... Oh, yes, of course. Yes, yes. You know, and I was never... I was never offered any counselling or anything like that. Just go over to the Victoria Hospital and one thing I did say to them and I think it did make a change I said that door you know into the Victoria Hospital 
I said, that's just, it's, you know, it's like at a crossroads. And I said, it's embarrassing enough for people to have to go in there without being, you know, people stopped, them, stopped in the traffic looking at them. Was there a specific then, door for STDs? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, they call it the gum clinic now. But... Neil, all I can say is I'm grateful that you took my call. Okay, my friend. And I hope that anyone else, I can, I could relate to that lady you spoke to yesterday, that young girl. You just feel like, oh, you just feel like dirt. Mm. But mm. you have to shake that off. And there yeah, is yeah. a way out. They keep saying that uh, when they go into service help, like, you know, counselling or, you know, talk with a counsellor or psychiatrist that or they don't want to know about the story. They all too quickly want to just get to the medication, get to the prescription pad. Yes. But I wonder, has it just because they are just so floored with work that they don't have the time? I don't know. Okay. How come Mary Crilly can do her job? Yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't prescribe medication and she can give people time and she can help people so it can be done it's just our health system and especially our mental health services are absolutely deplorable well look um, happy to listen for you to share your story it's a brave thing for you to do I hope you feel somewhat better in sharing and unburdening it Um, and you never know people who are listening could actually say you know what that also happened to me uh, and I shouldn't be ashamed of it and I shouldn't be guilty of it and I shouldn't be saying and nor should you have been saying I was six foot two it shouldn't happen to me this guy came up to you from behind you know you got sucker yeah. punched to the ground your face first into yeah. glass I mean you know it's not your fault good God yeah Anil I have to say as well talking about the mental health services there was a support group for people that suffer from agoraphobia, Oanda was called Out and About. And it, they used to hold meetings in the old Aaronville Maternity Hospital, you know, on the yeah. Western Road. Yeah. HSE caught the funding. And that was the end of that. Yeah, I did Google trying to find groups uh, and I couldn't find a single thing, to be quite honest. Yeah, everything that I was yeah. finding was in the UK or America or overseas and that's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony, um, don't be a stranger. Stay in touch. Of course I will. And I hope other men that suffer the same thing, don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be, don't go into a victim mode. Like I said, I'm a survivor, not a victim. That's the way I look at it now. Okay, okay. Look after yourself. Thanks, Neil. Lovely talking to you. You too. Have a lovely weekend. Have a lovely weekend, Anthony. Text 0868104106. Can I also give you a number for the National 24-Hour Help uh, Line for Rape Crisis? The Rape Crisis Helpline will connect you to Cork. It's 1-800-777-8888. There's a website, uh, sexualviolence.ie. 
and the Samaritans are always available on 116123. Calls on the way after the break. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Love to hear from you. Text 0868104106. I want to chat if you would like to give some time to Louise Crowley, the professor at uh, the School of Law at UCC. Uh, we're going to talk about issues for a few minutes regarding uh, students coming into UCC into first year. She was making the point in a recent article in the Evening Echo. She says that uh, her experience is that unfortunately by the time they get to us in UCC, many young people, and she says especially young girls, have been the victim of harassment, violence and rape. And she joins me by phone. Louise, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Just on the point there in my conversation with Anthony, men as well and young men um, and not so young. Um, it was very open and honest of him to share. What, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, Anthony's story is, is very tragic and, and it demonstrates how impactful and, and life-changing uh, sexual harassment, violence and rape can be for anyone who is a, a victim of that, uh, those assaults. Um, and so I think that it highlights um, that this is a, an issue that affects both genders um, and profoundly so. But at the same time, you know, um, statistics will show and, and, and we're well aware that, you know, the majority of victims are females, but this doesn't in any way lessen the severity of the impact no, it on Anthony and other yeah, men. Yeah. So and, really and, all, and those statistics, of course, will be inaccurate if men aren't reporting, you see, that's the thing. Indeed, but also women aren't reporting, you yeah. know, and that's one of the serious yeah. problems that we have because it's very hard to, to support people and, and provide for them when the, the society we live in historically, in any case, has made it so difficult for people to come forward for the, all the obvious reasons, the stigma and the shame, the perceived self-blame and all of those issues that arise for someone when they when they realise they've been assaulted or raped and, and what to do next. So, you know, I think we have made some significant strides uh, yeah. in more recent years, but we still have a, a way to go. Mary Crilly had an extraordinary stat, and forgive me if I'm inaccurate, but I think I'm fairly close. She said 75% of rapes aren't reported. Of the 25% that are, uh, a lower percentage of them actually even get to court. And then I think somewhere between two, three, maybe 4% of those correct. at the yeah. very, am I right, end in a prosecution. Right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, tiny, isn't and that, it? And that's not just Ireland. That would be an international uh, phenomenon, absolutely. Okay. So you, you're quoted as saying that my experience is that unfortunately, by the time they get to us in UCC, many young people have been the victims of harassment, violence and rape before they even get to first year. That's correct, yeah. So I would deal with first years um, in the delivery of my bystander intervention program. And it is it is very tragic. And, and we're talking about the whole range of behaviour. So, uh, you know, rape and serious aggravated sexual assault, they're, as I said, they're life-changing, really traumatic incidents. But we must remember that, you know, everyday sexual hostility and harassment is something that is hugely prevalent amongst young people. And, you know, the RCNI, the Rape Crisis Network of Ireland, has done very good work with young people in the last couple of years. And, you know, some of their research tells us um, 80% of adolescents, this is a 2021 survey, 80% of the adolescents who engaged with the survey disclosed that they had been subject to some form of sexual harassment. So it seems that in their teenage years, young people are experiencing hostility and harassment. I mean, a smaller number, obviously, experiencing aggravated sexual assault and rape. But it seems that the world they're living in 
is that it's hugely prevalent and we know that um, when they come to us in UCC and, and I would receive disclosures occasionally from students who are taking our training and, and perhaps for the first time realising the gravity of what's happened because part of the problem in terms of not disclosing is not realising the significance of what happened. So not quite understanding that, yes, they were raped. They didn't give consent. You know, it wasn't consent because, you know, they, they were kissing the boy, for example, and, and, and then he pushed it further without consent. And the self-blame, maybe they had drink taken, you know, maybe they went back to a quiet place with them and they start blaming themselves. Marion's so story, a 22-year-old college student who quit college earlier in the week, you probably aren't aware of that, went to a party and stayed overnight in a bedroom upstairs mm. and was raped in the bed at 22. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I mean, there's no denying that this is happening. Um, it's horrific. It's life changing. Why is it happening? Why is it happening? What? Why is it? Ha- why has it ever happened, Neil? I mean, th- that's a very complex question. Uh, why is it happening? Because um, people are abusing. They're using their power. People are vulnerable. There is the whole challenging issue of young people starting college, wanting to fit in, not really realizing that you know this is not okay, and that it's okay to say no, and that not everybody is having sex, and that. It's about that social normalization of the culture and it's about giving them, I suppose what we do in UCC is giving them that safe platform to understand that none of this behavior is okay. And what we see too is the escalation of behavior. So, you know, the rape jokes, the jeering, the whistling, the groping, if that's not called out and stamped out, what happens is that those perpetrators who are inclined to behave in that way, they get a a false sense of consensus that it's okay and they will escalate. So really, we we need to tackle all the forms of behaviour in order to make a very clear social statement that none of this is okay and everybody deserves a safe college experience. It's interesting you make the point that, you know, that they may think that everyone's doing it, so I should too, and that's not the case. It doesn't need to be that way because you also say that, you know, first years are being asked for nudes on their phones. They don't know what to do and they're worried about being socially isolated if they don't. That's first year in secondary school, just to be very clear. You know, this is a problem. God almighty. I thought, I'm sorry. Is it really? Oh my God. This is work work I'm doing with second level schools. I've developed a a pilot program for TY students and this is being delivered in 45 schools around the country. And I, um, so I have. So they're like 13 years old, first year. Well, this is the, this is what the feedback from the teachers. So I developed a program for TY. And one of the teachers came back and said, could you please do something for our first years? They're coming in, they're vulnerable, they're being asked for nudes, and they're afraid to say no because they don't want to be excluded. And that's the reality on the ground, Neil. So this is not first year university. I thought it was. Mother of God almighty. Oh my God. But surely then, like, you're saying, but it hasn't always been this bad. It seems to be getting gradually worse. Well, if you think about the world within which our young people live now, so the access to technology, which is problematic on a number of levels. So first of all, the access to porn. So the the access at the touch of a button of this surreal, unreal world where they can see sexual abuse and sexual uh, rape and other forms of sexual assault occurring under the guise of, you know, uh, sexual activity. And then there is this perception that this is normal. So that's a very challenging issue in terms of their misunderstanding of what a respectful relationship looks like. And on top of them that the, the, you know, I mean, phones are wonderful, technology is wonderful, but it becomes very dangerous in the hands of those who want to abuse. So whether it's 
um, using power, using control and following people and tracking people or whether it's asking for nudes or, you know, sending pictures, you know, a, a guy sending a picture of his penis to a girl when she doesn't want it, but it lands on her phone. There it is before her. Grant, she can delete it, but she's been harassed you know, in that way. How, and so, how aware are parents of all of this, do you think? I think you were, do the, you were quoted as saying they, they may or may not even have a grasp as to how bad it is. Well, it's again the spectrum. So you have parents, obviously, who are very aware and very communicative with their children. Uh, and then you have parents either who don't know or don't want to talk about it. I mean, you know, talking about sex and sexual relations and consent between, you know, parents and, and young people, you know, has always been, you know, a challenge over the years. Here's a book, read it and learn everything you need to know. Yeah. So we have to recognize, you know, that there is a range of capacities and there's a range of knowledge and knowledge and information and education is really fundamental to making progress in this whole sphere. So educating young people, giving them the language and the understanding of, you know, the standards of acceptance, you know, what rape is, what consent is, but equally giving them safe spaces. So parents having the knowledge and the understanding, you know, my program in the schools, you know, is to that very point. So educating teachers and supporting them to facilitate, so not to teach young people, but to give them the information and facilitate peer-led conversations. So the young people talk to each other in my program. They discuss different issues and scenarios. They do walking debates, you know, and they engage with each other. So suddenly, listening to each other, they realise what everybody else is thinking when and it's not all okay. Yeah. You know, and they, they, we can shatter that. So when it's not, so when it's not, I, forget, I don't mean to rush you, but just by virtue no, no, of time, no. but for, from the point of view of it not being okay or not being acceptable, do you push them to call it out more, to say... Don't do this. You shouldn't yes. send that picture. You shouldn't say that to her. You should not call him that name. Yeah, so that absolutely underpins what we call the bystander intervention program at UCC. So it's encouraging young people. And this is a cross-generation issue. I'm just working in a university. But we need to recognize that we all have a responsibility for the well-being of others. So it's about encouraging and cultivating that sense of responsibility for the well-being of others. So you're in a group and someone tells a rape joke or someone comments on the length of someone's skirt or what happened last night. And you, know, you just say, that's not okay. You can't say that about her. Don't send those images. I don't want to be in this WhatsApp group if you're sending those. Mm. And that takes bravery and courage. But my hope is that if you go into a full classroom, a sports club, a, work, a place of employment, you know, a, a program in a university, and everybody there takes the training, they understand first of all, what unacceptable behaviour looks like, the importance of shattering any false consensus that it's okay, and the responsibility and the capacity that we all have to be a part of the change because we all need to, you know, speak up when we see it and then you have culture change. Yeah. It's not enough for one person to speak up. It has to be culture change that's shared across the community. Yeah, good for you. Thanks so much for taking the call, Louise. Appreciate not it. Thanks okay, and do thank stay in touch. Professor Louise Crowley has a programme running in 45 secondary schools nationwide, 12 of them are in Cork uh, for transition your students and it covers a variety of the issues we dealt with there including sexual relationships sexual harassment consent and lots more besides your thoughts are welcome text 0868 I'm Lana O'Connor Red FM News is first for local national and international news and you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. That's a funny one there, Lana, talking about uh, their plotting Wi-Fi and putting Wi-Fi up along the slopes of Kilimanjaro, ultimately right up to the summit. It comes with no consolation to people li- living in black spots where they're absolutely crawling slow, slows, uh, so slow speeds of, of Wi-Fi. 
I know down Port McGee where we are, it's actually bizarre because uh, I'm, I'm about 50 metres outside of the village, right? Uh, and there is the high speed, which is the fibre broadband, a thousand megs. It's f- rocket fast. And down in the village where they don't have the fibre or the high speed, it could be like 10 megs. Yeah, are you listening to me? I am so, listening to so you. So it can be so bad down there if it's booming with tourists and loads of people are eating all over yeah. the village at the one and time. And tapping. And tapping. You know the handheld yeah. credit card machines that are controlled by wife. They don't work. Oh, Neil, that's so frustrating. And no one carries cash anymore. Oh, no, and I suppose if you have tourists in for an hour or two, how are they supposed to pay? Come back, so, I suppose. <laughs> and there's no ATM machine. It's oh, like, my God, that's like living in the dark so ages. So when you talk about, you know, Wi-Fi up the side of Kilimanjaro, people listening, <laughs> they'll be tearing their head out with 10 megs. Maybe they need to get on to the Tanzanian information minister. He seems to be all over this. You need to get him to come over here and sort out our Wi-Fi and black spots. But anyway, thanks for the good laugh. Lines open at one 850 You can text 0868-104-106. Free Food Friday shout-outs, courtesy of ourselves and Roosters, Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. Morning to everybody listening at the House of Hare and Kinsale, to Caremark Cork on the Tremore Road, to everybody at Rockwell Engineering, uh, morning to all of the staff out there in Claheen, to Tusla at F- St. Finbar's Hospital, to Classic Drinks Cork, morning Yvonne, uh, to everybody at Transport Services in Ballyvalan, to every, all the staff at the Dean Hotel, in particular Carol O'Connor, who's working hard, ECI, JCB and Carrick Tool, the Estimating Team, that's a great department, isn't it? The Estimating Team at PJ Hegarty's, Dearmont Construction Watson's in Mallow. Morning to Katie O'Donovan. To everybody with the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind on the Model Farm Road. The Planning Department at Cork City Council. MJ Flood and Little Island are listening. Everybody at In for Lunch on McCurtain Street. BCE Consulting Engineering in the Marina. And they're also going to share it if they win with Culture Co-working. Because they'd never be able to eat it all themselves. Well, you've got to win it first, I suppose. MSL are listening. Fabrication Department in Little Island are listening. GRP Roofing Supplies on the more Road, McCarthy's Family Butchers in Bishopstown and Grona Braher, uh, everybody at uh, True Temper and White's Cross, and finally Sugar Dolls in Wilton and Slimming World at Frankfield in Douglas. There's about 20 of them in the group and they'd have some food together uh, to have a good bonding session after a hard week of dieting, I suppose. Anyway, keep those shout-outs coming, who you are and where you are. Text 0868 104 Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Back to calls on the phone lines in a couple of seconds. Just some shout-outs and uh, some texts from this morning. Would you please wish my niece Lauren Crinion the very best of luck tomorrow in her European Schools Boxing Championships finals in Turkey. Now, Laura has already won silver and is fighting for gold tomorrow night. She fights for Father Horgan's Boxing Club, uh, which is looking forward to having a huge welcome home to her on Monday. Her uncle Michael O'Callaghan got in touch with me. At present, Team Ireland are coming home with 15 medals, 9 bronze and 6 silver. And you never know, Lauren might scoop a gold tomorrow night. So good luck to her. Uh, well done for that. Sorry about that, Neil. But Ray Foley, back in, in February, before he left Red FM, played the first Christmas song of 2022. Um, if I remember it, you're right. He did it on the last morning on air here, just to spoil my thunder, because we always had this race getting a bit closer to Christmas as to whether he or I would play the first Christmas song. So apparently he did it in February. So me playing a snippet this morning doesn't count. But just on the topic 
uh, Brown Thomas and their Christmas shop or Christmas department being open. Are they serious? Families struggling to buy books, uniforms for kids to go back to school at the end of the month. And they're adding more pressure by putting Christmas out there to drive the kids crazy with what they want. Yet shops and businesses continue to struggle. But with our situation now at the cost of living, this is all wrong. As in opening a Christmas shop in August. People are trying to decide what to eat or heat this winter. Most families won't be able to afford Christmas this year, says Christine. What's the point of this, says somebody else? Kids will now think Santa's coming. Parents will have uh, be having the task of explaining to young kids and they'll only get upset that it's only August. And in fact, Fiona says that. It's ridiculous. Summer's just ending. Christmas is December. We're still in shorts. I'm just waiting to see Easter eggs next. Uh, morning, says Christine. I was telling my granddaughter today that Brown Thomas have Christmas stuff up. She's six. She said, Nana, you think that's bad? Pennies have Halloween stuff. I mean, we're not even back at school yet. Out of the mouths of babes. Maybe, uh, Mick says, this is just an example of money grabbing at its highest. Aimed at kids to put pressure uh, on ch- on parents. Give us a break, please. Wait till Halloween is done and dusted, for God's sake. Uh, and D wants to know, does it mean I can put up my Christmas tree now? If you want to. Absolutely. If you want to, go for it. I'd say if you put her up in August, you'll be well fed up of it by the back end of October. Anyway, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. And I'll come back to more texts and emails throughout the course of the morning. Some lovely texts coming in regarding Anthony's conversation with me on the air this morning. He was very open and honest about uh, being raped himself 10 years ago. And people are saying things like, well done, Anthony. I pray you find peace. Incidentally, you have an incredible voice. You should have done radio. Great to hear you over the years on air and to hear you today helping someone somewhere by sharing your story. Um, Another one. Sorry to hear Anthony and what happened to him. It must have been horrific. I always like to hear him on the radio with you and thank God he's out the other side now. Stay strong, Anthony, and our Lord is there for us all, says Marie from Beautiful Clon. Oh my God, Anthony, my heart is breaking for you. If you ever want a coffee or a chat or just a listening ear, please get in touch. Neil has my details. After being raped just over a year ago, I was assisted by the Sexual Violence Centre, who honestly saved my life. This is the work that's headed up by Mary Crilly. Maybe the HSC are not dealing with sexual violence properly, but there are some amazing people out there who are willing to help. What I've found so hard is the legal system, where the person assaulted is the one that is on trial and the one that is to prove themselves. And it's like being assaulted all over again. It was horrendous. Uh, I hope you get to read this text. I have done and thank you for sharing it. Text 0868 and we'll come back to more texts and emails and calls on that throughout the course of the morning. And if not today, certainly on Monday. A lot of things got parked this week because I ended up doing all sorts of different things. But one thing I want to do this morning because a lot of the commemoration will happen over the weekend and indeed Bail and Ablaw itself on Sunday is the 100th anniversary of the shooting dead of the big fella, Michael Collins. Um, I was actually shocked again, was recalling the story and just reading up on it during the week at his age, to be quite honest with you. I'd forgotten how young he was. He was only 31. And there's a lot of events happening because this is the 100th anniversary of his death. And I remember as a young fella, year, for years and years and years with my grandfather, going down year after year to the commemorations at Bailnablaw. And over the years, because many of those way back when I was a child was going to it, were themselves in the War of Independence, in the Irish Civil War, and they were there as elderly men, my grandfather amongst them. Uh, I want to chat, because I spoke before with Fidelma Collins, who's a grandniece of Michael Collins. I want to chat with her again. Morning again, Fidelma. Nice to catch up. 
Good morning, Neil. Nice to talk to and you again. And you too. A hundred years on Monday. How does the family it's feel? Listen to <laughs> how, do you, how does the family feel about that a centenary since well, you died? Can I just say the family are just having a wonderful time. Um, it's like in one sense, it's very poignant. It's a hundred years. And for people like myself, you're looking back on the family members that have died that won't be here for the 100th anniversary because, you know, they got older and unfortunately they left us. But the celebrations around the country, the involvement of people in West Cork, in Cork, in Dublin, all over the country, they are so... I suppose you could say, turned on to this event and they want to recognise the hundred years, they want to recognise the work that he did for the country and there's just a really positive vibe. How will the family market, I wonder? Well now, I've been busy for the last couple of months with some cousins of mine and there are 223 Collins family members gathering on Saturday night in the Rochestown Park for a big family dinner oh and celebration. Oh my God, 223 Collinses. Exactly, but earlier in the day <laughs> we're in Fitzgerald's Park after a lovely bust of Michael Collins there laying some flowers. Then the City Council have invited us to the museum to um, have a civic reception for us. And we're very happy that it's in the museum because there's Collins memorabilia there and there's also a treaty exhibition that will be launched on Saturday. Do you, and sometimes do you, I think the museum gets a bit lost, you know, but it is a lovely building. Yeah. Do and you, then we are heading up to Collins Barracks. Um, a lot of my family members from around the country would never have been in Collins Barracks in Cork. People keep thinking of Collins Barracks of Dublin, but we have our own Collins Barracks down here, and we would be delighted to visit up there today. And do you ever think as a family, why is there still so much interest and awe and uh, respect for a man who died 100 years ago, when, when, when we don't... We don't talk the same way of others. Why, 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 well, why is he so fondly remembered, do you think? Well, I suppose you put your finger on it there, um, Neil. He was only 31. Mm. Look at what he achieved in those short years. He helped set up the Republic. He was Minister for Finance. He set up our army. He was, uh, and our, our Air Corps was set up at the same time. Our police force. So, he helped shape where we are now today. And I know people are very upset and fine and struggling in many ways at the moment. But if we look out a bit broader than that, we have a stable country, we have a super education system, mm. we have a good health service once you get into it. Would he say that now if you were around, I wonder, Fidelma? Would he say what you're saying? Considering what, the, what they went be, through. I think he'd be very proud of the country we are now. He's raised, we've, we have raised a very resilient people in this country. And people like Michael, I was in Woodfield during the week. And I stood there and the I looked home. out um, on his home, yeah. where actually my dad was born as yeah. well. Yeah. And I looked out at the vista there. And I think of, this is where he came from. 
This was his inspiration down here, that and his family, his parents and his brothers and sisters. So we, you know, I, we, we are immensely proud of him and we hope that he would be happy proud of this country as it is now. There was a very sad article that I read during the week. It was one of the tabloids who did a thing, the powerful women in Michael Collins' life. And it wasn't in a glib way. It was a very well-written article. Yeah, but yeah. one of the points that it reminded me of was his, his love and the love of Kath, of uh, Kitty Kiernan. And mm-hmm. I wasn't aware that he, he fell, of course, on the 22nd of August 2020, uh, 1922, but was due to be married in October of that year. Yes. And, and actually, I got a phone call from somebody this morning to say that Kitty Kiernan's uh, granddaughter is coming to Bailnablaw on Sunday. Oh, dear, isn't that amazing? And she's going to make herself known to me, and we will be delighted to welcome her into the Collins family with us. That would be very emotional, Fidelma. Absolutely. And the other person that's coming on Sunday is Audrey Dalton. And she's Emmett Dalton's daughter. Yeah, yeah. So these were all, you know, the people that that mattered in his life. And And they're going to be there with us, which will be wonderful. And all through the years, when you were a small girl and what have you, was he always talked about and remembered? Well, very much so in our household, Neil. Um, to start with, my brother was called Griffith. So we, we had a Griffith Collins in the house. But um, like my dad, as you know, was a TD in West Cork. Yeah. And he was very, he was a nephew of Michael Collins's. And I suppose he was sort of a, a charismatic character. So everybody knew that he was related to Michael Collins. So wherever we went, people would discuss Collins. All over the world, incidentally. Absolutely. We have people coming from all over the world as well on Saturday, which is wonderful. The 223 at Rochestown Park, there'll be a lot of feeding in them. There'll be a lot of feeding, but can you imagine the noise volume? (laughs) Because we are all talkers (laughs) and we don't have quiet voices. Can I ask you a question? Because it's been bandied about all week again that, okay, Collins died. He was shot at Bailnablaw. But to this day... Everybody is fixated as to who fired the gun. Are the family as fixated as the public? Well, I suppose I can only speak for myself. And all I have said on a couple of occasions this week is my grandfather, who was Johnny Collins, Michael's oldest brother, and they were very, well, Michael was close to all his family, but Johnny and himself were close. And my grandfather made his peace with people. And... If my grandfather had made his peace and put that to rest, that is good enough for me, and that's where I'm at with it. I don't engage in, in that conversation. You don't dwell that's on behind it. behind us. We're looking to the future. Yeah, because I know that RT are doing a cold case Collins investigation with the former state yes. pathologist uh, chairing a cold case, I don't know, talking to forensics and criminal investigators. I know, I know. Uh, Is that right? Well, I know nothing about forensics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I do know my grandfather made his peace with people, and that is good enough for me. Yeah, yeah. Listen, it's, an, well, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing that you would have so many gathering on Saturday night at the Rochestown Park to mark the 100th year of his passing. Bail Nablaw as, as well on Sunday. Because I remember as a child, over the years, the old soldiers dying away, slowly but surely, yes, less and less too. of them. Do you remember? And you'd look out, and one year there might be four rows of them, and the next year there might be only three, and then eventually it went down to one, 
and then it went down to two or three and it was very sad to see them but boy did they stand to attention at the first front of the monument you remember that I do and there was a pub then that ev- there was a pub then that everybody so would go to and they'd go in for their pints and the kids would be outside with their bottles of orange and their bags of crisps yeah, and the sun yeah. always seemed to be shining yeah well I'm just hoping we'll have a bit of sunshine on Sunday well I'm not even saying sh- sunshine but if we could have no rain it's you know, it would be helpful. And but we manage, we always do. Yeah, no, it's not a bad day Sunday. Cloudy, it should hold reasonably Cloudy, dry in about 19. Yeah, yeah. Do you, have you been to the Imperial Hotel, to the Michael Collins yes. bedroom? Are you, and that's you be- what I wanted to say to you. Yeah. I was, they have done up a bedroom as it would have been when Michael Collins left the Imperial Hotel. When I went in there, I can only say it gave me goosebumps. So, it is worth a visit, Neil. Get yourself in there. I'm sure they'll be delighted to welcome you. And they have just come on board so much. They have commissioned a new portrait of Michael Collins, yeah. which we're unveiling on Monday, which is the actual anniversary. Yeah. They are um, Last day's on, documentary. Um, I'll talk to them in a second, actually. I have Roisin yeah, Flynn, yeah, actually. They, they but just they, you can say good morning to her if you want, Roisin. Yeah, we have her here. Yeah, Roisin Flynn Roisin. is the business development manager. You can thank her directly at the Imperial. Roisin, oh, good morning. Hi, how are you? Good. Go ahead, Fidelma. Hi, Hi Roisin. Good morning. How are you? I suppose well, I just you. wanted to say the, the family are so, those of us that have seen it, are so pleased what the Imperial have done to commemorate so Michael Collins. And we will be making sure that everybody gets in there to see what you've done. You have Fantastic. just taken it all on board and you've been so generous with your time and your um, involvement with us. And again, to say, the bedroom would give you goosebumps if you went up to well the well Imperial have done such a marvellous job. To do it, it was really, really important to do it. I think we had a, a certain responsibility. I think to do something really, really special, um, and I think the the refurb of the bedroom was kind of one of the the bigger ones. So it is. It's done in in 1920s style. It has a lot of antique furniture. Um, it's unlike any other suite in the hotel. It is really, really beautiful. That's room um, 115, yeah. isn't it? Room 115. And has there been interest yeah. in that room over the decades? There has huge interest, actually. We would have had um, some people who would, we have a lot of regular guests, obviously, and it has been requested over the years, but it was never anything different than the rest of the the rooms in our hotel. So for the centenary commemoration, we decided to do something really, really special. Um, We're actually leaving it empty on Sunday evening as well, just as a mark of respect. Uh, We did have a lot of interest for people to stay in it um, on Sunday evening but we decided to leave it empty. So the door will be open. We'll have a lovely black sash on the door um, just as a... As a That's incredible. I've got goosebumps listening to that. That's amazing. And Neil, could it, I it, just it, say that the Collins family would have loved to have had our evening in the Imperial Hotel, but unfortunately they were booked out. And as it turned were. out, um, they have a wedding, but I think our numbers may have been a bit too big for yes, them. But we really do appreciate everything right. they've done. Okay. Listen, Fidelma, enjoy your weekend commemorating oh, the big fella. Okay. Thanks again, Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Roisin. Bye-bye. All the best. Take care. Take care. You guys have a lot going on in the Imperial because you have the Last Days documentary. What's that about? We do. So that's um, a documentary by an Irish independent filmmaker called Marcus Howard. 
And um, so we had a screening of that in the ballroom on Monday, or excuse me, Sunday evening. So from about 7 p.m. It is sold out at the moment. And um, we're reconfirming all of the bookings this morning just to make sure that everybody who's registered for it is coming. Um, and we may open up some more spaces. We're not sure yet. So that's Sunday evening. Um, then obviously we have the Collins family who are staying with us over the weekend. Um, we decided to kind of invite them in and make them the centre of everything that we did uh, to commemorate Michael Collins. So they're having a family breakfast with us on Monday morning. The area that they're having breakfast in is actually the area that Michael Collins would have left from. So it's the Pembroke Street entrance. That's right. So it that, used to be on Pembroke Street. Let, let us remember that 100 years ago, on the night before he was shot in Bell Blaw, he slept in the room that we're talking about, room 115. That's the connection with the room. Yeah, yes. yeah. He actually stayed in it um, for two nights before. Um, he stayed the Saturday and the Sunday, uh, well, the, the, um, the two nights before. Yes. Um, and the, we, we found out so much over the last couple of months. Um, we've done so much research and we've um, met with so many local historians and uh, lots of different people. And Michael Collins was supposed to actually come back to the hotel so a lot of his belongings were still in the hotel and, and everything like that. So he wasn't leaving and departing that day for good. He was actually on his way back to the hotel. Um, so there was a huge um, a huge dash to kind of pick up his belongings and everything. I think that what we found out about the Imperial and, and its connection um, to Michael Collins over the last couple of months has just been unbelievable. I think that room is so beautiful. I wish that all hotel rooms looked like that. It's a snapshot in time as to what a hotel room would have looked in a hotel of the calibre of the Grand Dam that is the Imperial 100 years ago. Lots of mahogany, um, big uh, four-poster bed, bolsters Mm -hmm. on the bed, things like that, isn't it? Gorgeous. Exactly. And all of the furniture... Tapestries on the walls. Exactly. Um, All of the furniture that's gone in there is in a a 1920s style. As you said, the four-poster bed. We have a beautiful antique telephone. Um, So it's unlike anything else that we have in the hotel. Even the door that goes in there is a huge mahogany, quite a heavy door. um, And it's different, completely different than than the rest of the hotel. You pulled out all of the stops, and rightly so, because it is part of his final journey, without a doubt, the time he spent at the Imperial. So best of luck with it over the the weekend, Roisin. I'm going to share some photographs of the interior uh, on social. People can book that room going forward. It'd probably probably be a little bit more expensive than the other rooms, I suppose, but you you get what you pay for. It is, absolutely. Um, So it's available for sale um, from Tuesday evening onwards and will be available um, all year round. All right, okay. Well, listen, a lot of effort went into it and you need to be commended for it uh, to you and the Flynn family. Thanks for taking the call. Have a great weekend, Roisin, with everything you're doing. You You too, Roisin Flynn is the business development manager at the Imperial. Text 0868104106. More on this after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 Red FM. Okay, just staying on the theme of Michael Collins uh, and the events over the coming days, culminating, of course, on Monday itself with the with the shooting dead of uh, Michael Collins. I want to go down west because you've seen, if you've ever been driving around west, you'll see signposts everywhere for the Michael Collins Trail. There is a kind of a heritage cultural trail in uh, many parts of West Cork marking uh, Michael Collins and stuff, but I want to specifically go uh, down to Noosestown because they're having a week-long festival that cul- culminates on Sunday uh, with Michael Collinses from all over the world attending upon the village. Nigel man, he joins me. Nigel, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thanks for having us. Not at all, my man, not at all. Is the festival underway? Does it kick off today or what? 
Uh, we kicked off last Sunday with a family fun day in the, in the school grounds there. And so it's been going on all week? All week, okay. week long. Right. Yeah. And it culminates on Sunday with, um, just tell us about it, Michael Collins, and I believe also Michaela Collins can also attend, is it? Well, yes, we're, we're, we're being um, neutral gender, as they say, or whatever. <laughs> we, we, we'll have to be specific about these things, but on the day, maybe Michael Collins might only be the one that registers, or a John Michael Collins. Or a Paul Michael Collins. They are the ones that will be officially registered. I gotcha, think, gotcha. Um, part of the record. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So we just decided there when we were having our festival, we better incorporate the, the anniversary of, uh, of the ambush uh, for 100 year ambush. So we said we'd, we'd, we'd go along with the lines from the film where they said, um, who take my place? <laughs> and we have a couple of Michael Collinses in the parish. So we said, let's try to get all the Michael Collinses together. <laughs> and it kind of steamrolled from there. And it's been getting great traction all week. And we had people coming from Dublin and Meade, Galway, Limerick, and all over Cork County coming Sunday to um, to register as a Michael Collins on the day of the ambush and the at the hundredth anniversary. So they need to bring a passport or a driving license or some ID to some prove it. Some form of ID just to prove who they are, and they'll be given a certificate to say they participated in the event. They'll be given a free T-shirt and there's a drink for every Michael Collins that that arrives. <laughs> I know the Collins family are gathering in the Rochester Park Hotel. 223 of them. Are you yeah, aware of that? Yeah. They're the real McCoy. They're not pretenders to the throne. Like. No, no, no. I mean, uh, I was just listening to her there. No, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not gone enough that there was a man killed down the road. You know, it really is a man that was lost to the, to the, to the country 100 years ago. So it, it, it's, very, it's a very poignant um, monument now, beautifully done up. So this is just something for us to remember the time. Um, of the hundred years, and is he and still? He ta- you know, in your parish, not too far, of yeah. course, from where he was born and reared and died, is he still talked about constantly? Always talked about constantly. Yeah, there's, there's a, you know, really talked about uh, the last six months is, is the monument itself and the doing it up. That's that's one thing. It's been done fantastically, done done up. Uh, but overall, it's always about the trail, Michael Collins Trail, and who shot him as you said well ago but yeah. you know that that kind of thing is, is kind of we're not worried about that anymore no it's I mean it's, it's it's a, bi- he was a loss to the country yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing it's bizarre I read some article in the paper this morning saying you know to help put this to bed once and for all exhume Michael Collins' body that's a step too far isn't it it's a step too far there's no need for that no I mean those things happened and, and looked, we were all the one at the time but yeah. there was just things went on and, and, and it was unfortunate that this incident happened so close to our village, actually, and so close to his hometown as well, Clannacilty, and them's crossed was just unfortunate. And uh, look, to, to history, and to his great history, to the 100 years of history, the pub here in Newstone was born uh, in 1920, so we have great history in the, in the village of Newstone. And um, the first shots for freedom were fired up the road from the pub here as well, um, when, when the black and tans came and started burning people out of the houses. So there's history. We won't forget, Neil. We must remember it. Yeah. And we just said we have to do something to... Um, Honor Michael, I don't know if honoring him or not, but a kind of quirky way of remembering him. Remembering him. Yeah. Michael so, Collins is all over the country coming to one place to sign a register and get a photograph taken with our own Southwest TD, Michael Collins, and to say, look, we are, we are people are calling after him, and that's enough. You know, I think people, Michael I Collins has said in the past, Seamus was telling me that he, he would put down, to, put down some, some of his votes as, as Michael Collins TD to the big fella's name, having the same name. Oh yes, that, that I guarantee it. Yes, doesn't do I mean, him I any harm. To, I spoke to a couple from County Mead who were coming down, and I asked them, like, you know, that it's a long journey, and they said, "Oh no, this is my Michael Collins." He said, "And I'm coming." 
And it's still not too late if people want to be part of it. So any Michael Collins that would like to attend, it's uh, Sunday afternoon, isn't it? It's Sunday after the commemoration at the moment. So that's at 3 o'clock. So we're gathering a new stuff from 4 o'clock on. But any time up to 5 or 6 is fine. We have a food court in the village and we have live music all day with Bob the Donkey, Pat's Army and uh, all Ireland winning shorts crowd are here as well. So we're just creating a bit of an atmosphere. And yeah, you got Bernard Casey and the Marquee at 9 o'clock. Good luck Bernard with Casey, everything you're doing over Saturday the weekend. Night. Yeah. Saturday night, Saturday night. Well, good luck yeah. for the whole weekend. Seems as you've got something going on every day, culminating yeah. with the Michael Collins get-together on Sunday. Thanks so much, Niall. Mind yourself. In regards to you all in Eustace Take care. Thank just you, from man. a historical perspective, right? Um, I know I've spoken in the past with the great Gabriel Doherty from UCC School of History, and he joins me again by phone. Morning to you, Gabriel. Good morning, and, and can I just begin by echoing what was just said by the previous speaker. Uh, Town is a phenomenal uh, place to, to visit and steeped in the period, uh, the history of this period. And I'm not just saying that because my brother is married to a girl from Town, but it's, uh, <laughs> okay. it's, a, it's, a, it's an absolutely superb place. The mystery of Collins. I was reading this morning in one of the Red Tops. Uh, the mystery continues. The most powerful man in the country received no investigation into his death. There was no inquest allowed in Cork on order of Emmett Dalton, his second in command and his travelling companion that day. The autopsy went missing, rumoured to have been destroyed by fire with other sensitive documents in 1934. Incredibly, Collins doesn't even have a death cert. Is there any wonder that there's so much mystery, particularly about who shot him and who fired that gun? Yes, no, there is no, there is no surprise that there is mystery. Uh, I suppose if you have a look at the deaths of many famous individuals, and of course uh, John F. Kennedy comes to mind, e- even the most minutely evidenced uh, killing, where you have photographic, live photographic footage, uh, gives rise to any number of uh, speculations. So uh, I don't think there's any great surprise. I mean, one has to remember there was a war on. Uh, it wasn't particularly in the interests of the, the Free State Authorities, of which Emma Dalton, of course, was the, the, the local man, uh, having been accompanying Collins, uh, to, to try and move on as swiftly as possible, uh, to, to have the man buried with as much dignity as possible. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily read anything malign or mm. sinister into uh, the fact that there was no inquest took place. I mean, it would give rise to, a degree, I suppose, of, of salacious speculation. Um, as far as Dalton was concerned, there wasn't any great confusion about the matter. The man had been shot through the head in an ambush. Uh, I suppose it's only later that when people start querying and start looking into all yeah. the, the minutiae that these issues emerge. That's true. Time does that. But can we just recall, what was he, because it's talking about room 115 in the, in the Imperial, what was he doing in Cork? Yeah. What was the plan? What was going on? Those fateful few days. Well, he uh, uh, of course, about ten days before you'd had the the Battle of Passage, stroke Rochestown, stroke Douglas, when Free State forces had landed uh, a passage and then fought their way up the uh, the Douglas Rochestown Road uh, and had taken the city from the Republicans who had retreated out to the west. So it's in the aftermath of as well that victory that Collins comes to Cork, and there's about three or four different reasons. One, which isn't probably talked about as much as it should be, is money. Uh, he, of all people, realised that you couldn't undertake uh, any meaningful military campaign, particularly about, uh, the type of 
campaign that the Republicans were intending to, to wage without financial support because he had, he had managed that fi- those finances for the IRA over the previous two and a half years or so. So he, he was seeking to find out where the Republicans held their money uh, and to try and make sure that it wasn't uh, taken out from under his nose. So on the day before his, his death on the 21st, most of that day he spent going around the various different banks on the South Nile and interestingly also visiting the Holy Trinity Church, the Capuchins, which as an order was perceived, rightly or wrongly, to be more Republican inclined than many other elements within the church at the time. So that financial aspect So going around the banks in the north on the South Mall, trying to find where Dev was hiding the money. That's astounding. Well, not necessarily De Valera, but... uh, Well, well, Collins was free state. De Valera was was IRA. I I mean, we we know of the, the film where they say that Collins was going to West Cork to secretly meet Dev to see if they could strike peace. No. No? No, that, that's, that, that's definitely not. I mean, the, the, the money is one. It's a tour of inspection to try and uh, see the, the various different free states. Uh, garrisons in the various different towns make sure they're up to, to scratch. There was a family dimension as well. Of course, he, he took the opportunity to visit home and, and perhaps more generally it's flying the flag to, to demonstrate that the, the free state writ ran even in the heart of, of Rebel Cook. The one thing that I don't think any historian uh, supposes is that there was any overtures to try and certainly meet De Valera or, or even more generally to try and uh, reach out the hand of friendship or peace to, to the peace local Republicans. The Civil War. Do you think that his presence, yeah. in, that as he moved around the country and certainly Cork and West Cork, was also to bolster the troops, to make them feel, you know, that they yes. mattered, like to give them confidence? Absolutely. I mean, to see your commander-in-chief driving through the heart of what was an enemy territory in an open top car was intended to have a, a psychological psychological effect. And also there was practical aspects to, to his visit. I mean, he, he starts giving advice. And it wasn't just in Cork. Remember, he'd been to Limerick and other parts of the Midlands earlier on the journey down. Uh, and it was designed to make sure that the Free State Army was, was operating... Uh, to the maximum extent possible, a peak tour of inspection, as you uh, say. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, and, 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 and that doesn't suggest to me that peace uh, was on his mind any time soon, or at least a negotiated settlement. I think what Collins was much more interested in was was winning the war completely and swiftly, and then you could talk to Republicans, uh, as it were, from a position of undoubted strength. And so on that day, driving through Bail-Nablaw, um, he, of course, is ambushed along with uh, his, his fellow military personnel that were with him, shot in the head, yeah. falls to the ground. Talk to, talk to us a little about, he was clearly dead. It took six hours to get his body back to Cork, I believe. Just pick up the story there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was a horror show. Uh, the, the, the truck in which the, the body had to be removed and, and the armoured vehicle, uh, vehicles constantly were breaking down. They, of course, could not rule out the possibility of another ambush. Uh, en route back to Cork. Uh, so they had to be absolutely on the guard. There's, there's fading light. It's, it happens when sort of half nine or so. So we can we can see what the, the state of light is. And many of those who are present, uh, there's many roads that are blocked. They have to go across fields uh, to try and, and get on, on the road back to Cork. And of course, many of the signs were, were taken down. So it was, and all the time, of course, that you have your commander-in-chief dead, uh, 
in the convoy. So it was, it really was a, a very, very heart-rending scene uh, when ultimately they finally arrived back in Cork. To say that his last words were, forgive them, is, uh, is that just more Hollywood stuff or, or what? Well, we, we we don't know. I mean, I suppose the only people who truly know those people in whose whatever words were, or said if any were, would have known. But that was certainly reported the following day. Uh, again, whether that's true or not, I, I don't know. So I wouldn't say yes or no. And then the reaction to his death. What was that like? <laughs> There were, I suppose, there's, there's different reactions. Uh, within, even within the anti-treaty IRA, there, there, there seems to be sort of two schools of thought. One, which we've got the, the commander-in-chief of the enemy, and this is a good thing. This perhaps may result in turning the tide of the civil war, especially given that Arthur Griffith had died only a few days before also. Uh, so from that point of view, the anti-treaty IRA had reason to celebrate, but there is testimony, contemporary testimony that many of the former comrades of Collins who split with him over the treaty were, were themselves devastated. What, did, course, Dev, what did Dev say within, about it when he heard the news? Uh, uh, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know when De Valera did hear the news. I, I think he heard the news the following morning, uh, basically when he read the newspapers, because he was he was travelling. Uh, he had moved on from Bail the Blow because he had been uh, at the site earlier on the 22nd, but Dev was at the site? Did Did you just say that Dev was at the site? Oh my God, that sounds quite suspicious. But but not not at all during the ambush. He had been at the site simply because as a result of of the civil war, of the victories of the free states uh, across most of the rest of the country, Republicans were being compressed into a smaller and smaller area. So to a certain extent, it would have been as far as if he wasn't Is that as much as as you read into that? That that De Valera was at the site where the next day Collins was killed? On, on the same day, on the same day. Do you, do you not read uh, anything yes, into that? No, uh, because remember that those who staged the ambush, uh, to a large extent, were nece- weren't necessarily entirely trusting of De Valera either. Uh, and certainly De Valera would not necessarily have been regarded as anybody useful in an ambush. And they heard many of the Republicans, the purest Republicans, have become very sceptical of De Valera in terms of his ideas of external association between a Republican and Britain as opposed to simply a, a Republican okay. with yeah. no it, connections to Britain. I did, I did, re- I did read that there was actually, it was actually a ricochet bullet that hit him uh, in the head. And then I also read somewhere else that when his body was taken to Shanachiel, they found a second wound in his back. I mean, that's... And of course... Without uh, sort of the autopsy results, yeah. uh, it's, of course, impossible to, to speculate on whether they uh, occurred or not. But it's, it's possible there's a ricochet, ricochet bullet hit. I mean, we, we simply don't, don't know, know for certain. Yeah. The, 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 the one study, I think, that stands up now it's some years on is, is Mida Ryan's study uh, and her conclusion that Sonny Neal was one of the IRA men involved. And Sonny Neal was a trained marksman, she said, didn't she? She was the one that killed yeah, He was yeah. the one that killed Khan. She says that. Do you believe it? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I remember that practically all of those involved in the ambush had by this stage become trained marksmen uh, or had become practiced at marksmen because they'd had to become pretty handy with a gun over the previous two and a half years or they wouldn't have survived yeah. to, to participate in the ambush. And did Sonny so, O'Neill ever uh, say anything about it or was he ever questioned? He, 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 if, you, if, you, if you have a look at his Bureau of Military History statement, he, 
he just he draws a discreet veil over the proceedings. He takes the event up to the previous day and then and then keeps quiet about it. Doesn't actually discuss the event. But uh, Major Ryan looks at all the various different testimonies that, that were made both at the time and subsequently tries to locate each individual where they were at any particular point in time. And of course, that's very very difficult in an ambush. Nobody is drawing a map with each passing minute to try and say who's where and who's here and when did they move at what speed. And finally, what was the funeral like? Huge. Uh, It it perhaps wasn't on quite the scale that some of the the really monstrous funerals like the O'Donovan Ross and perhaps particularly Thomas Ashe in 1917, precisely because, of course, there were many within Dublin and elsewhere in the country who, uh, who were opposed to... Uh, Collins's political views at that point, uh, but it was it was a very formidable turnout from as it were the the forces of the provisional government the the new what was to become the national army turned out in force of course as it was to be expected mm. at the death of its commander in chief and we have usual footage and this is an extremely somber extremely impressive display there's, there's a really striking footage of Michael Collins at the graveside of, of uh, Arthur Griffith. Uh, only 10 years, uh, 10 days before uh, watching Griffith being interred. And it's a striking thought that Collins himself was to, to go into the cell saying uh, before a fortnight was out. In Glasnevin. And uh, imagine it's yeah. still a grave that is very much visited. It is, very much. I mean, and, and I mean, anybody who hasn't been to Glasnevin, remember that the Patriot section there has, has a huge number of graves. The one, the one thing that I always find quite funny about Glasnevin is that William Martin Murphy, the employer's boss in the 1913 lockout, is, is almost bang next to James Larkin. Uh, who <laughs> That's the an interesting of, uh, comparison. So I, 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 think, I think the two men will, will continue their arguments. Some interesting uh, conversations yeah, going on there. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing insight from you as always, Gabriel. Thank you so much for stopping by on the 100th anniversary. No and, he's, and he's still as talked about as ever. Does that surprise you? Absolutely. No, not at all. Not at all. And I would suggest to anyone who's interested, uh, there's a huge program of events down in West Cork today, tomorrow, Sunday, and obviously, you know, on Monday itself. The, the big one, the, the, the oration in uh, Bail and Blore itself uh, is going to be huge, but I've been advised by the organisers that anybody who wants to go along, just uh, be there in good time and be prepared for all eventualities in terms okay. of weather and, and the like. Good advice. Well said, Gabriel. Thanks for taking the call, as always. Appreciate it. No problem. Listen to that guy all day. Gabriel Doherty, UCC School of History. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Prenderville Show Okay, mad busy uh, It being Friday, of course, a lot to do uh, particularly in this hour Free Food Friday, courtesy of ourselves and Rooster's Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park It'll feed at least 15 of you It's a great big swag of food Chicken wings, chicken skewers and beef uh, skewers to start Chicken wraps, chicken pitas and beef burgers is the main event All with the Piri Piri salt uh, sauce, I should say The Piri salted fries, rice 
and the uh, waffle fries. Lots of different toppings, then mayos and garlic and stuff like garlic peri mayo and things. And then you do your own cheesecake with all of the different toppings. Okay, so if you're looking for some food this uh, weekend, roostersperiperi.com. Okay, so text who you are and where you are to 0868104106. Good morning to everybody at Glintown Care Centre in Glanmire, to four-man woman Denise and the hard-working staff at the EBO Home Rescue Team in the Marina. Bar One Racing and Evergreen Road are listening. Alton and International Moving and Storage in Ovens. Impact Ireland Metals in Glanmire, Roadstone and Balancholic. 16A Barbers and Coffee on Evergreen Street. At the Heart and Vascular Department of the Matter Private are listening this morning. Everybody at Doodlebugs Crash in Montessori. The IT team in PepsiCo in Little Island. Eurocar Parts. And the staff at Swissport in Cork Airport who help get people out on their halls on time. Um, and they get the whole country moving doing a great job up there. So keep those uh, shout-outs coming. Text who you are and where you are to 0868 106. We'll do the final bunch of shout-outs around about half past 11 this morning. Meanwhile, today, an extra competition. We have two giveaways for J.J. Walsh's uh, opened yesterday on Oliver Plunkett Street, the new Heritage Bar. And each of the giveaways is a €250 Euro voucher. Um, and it's your opportunity to scoop one of those vouchers and spend the money in J.J. Walsh's. You can have a few jars. You can visit the cocktail bar. They've got an outdoor bar, live music. They've got lots of great food sourced from the English market. It's just a great ad- addition to the Cork culinary experience. All right, so how can you win one? Well, inviting people on air giving you 60 seconds to talk on your favourite place in Cork. So think about that. Good, you've thought about it. We'll give the first ones away by opening the phone lines now. So 60 seconds on air on your favourite place in Cork and why. Uh, pick up the phone, 0818 104 106, and we'll come back to that in a few minutes' time. On the death of Michael Collins, uh, I love the interaction on this programme. I really do love the way you guys get involved. I can't see how Michael Collins would be proud of this country in the present time. Yes, we are as a, re- a resilient people, but successive governments, this one being the worst, have the country ruined. He probably would be turning in his grave. Morning, Neil. I'd say, Neil, that with Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar giving an oration at Bailnablaw, Michael Collins would be livid, turning in his grave. The mess they have done to this country down through the years, says Sean. And Anthony says, it was strange, perhaps foolhardy, to be driving around in an open car in the depths of West Cork when the IRA virtually backed into that area. Still strange that he was the only one killed that day amongst all of the gunfire. Well, Gabriel did say that, that it was an IRA stronghold and he was literally going into that. Collins, of course, was free state the seated government at the time in Ireland. De Valera had walked out of the Dáil um, and took many of his supporters with them on the side of the IRA and that then turned into a civil war between the two sides. It divided communities and as you know, it also divided families. Text 0868104106. We've got calls, texts and comments. But I just want to have a quick chat on this topic with Trevor because he's an interesting tale to share. Trevor, good morning. Good morning, Lee. Okay, so this was, uh, just tell us, an elderly neighbour. What, what's the story to this? Well, the, we moved into my present home 60 years ago. My father was 52 at the time, and he was from farming stock. And there was a, a lady living next door to us. She's been about 80. Where's this? Do you mind me asking? Well. Where? What area are we talking about? Magazine Road. Right, okay. And uh, my father and herself got on great because my father was an avid gardener, and they used to be swapping tales about farming and all the rest of us. In fact, I'll give you a little anecdote, which I was telling Kevin, he said I should tell you. 
one day she said to him, John, she says, your grass is lush and green. How do you manage it? Mine is burnt looking. So he said to her, Mrs. Lehan, he says, when I come home Friday night from the pub, I bring my friends with me and we relieve ourselves on the grass and that makes the grass go lovely and green. <laughs> so a few weeks went by and she called him one day, John, she says, I tried that and it didn't work. She said, tried what? He had forgotten about it. Oh, he, she told him then, oh my God, Mrs. Lehan, do you not know that the female urine kills the grass? It's the male that makes it grow. No, that's not a joke, Neil, because I have tried it and it actually works. It does in my ear. There's acid in it. it. Yes, yes, it does. I've tried it. I've done it many times when the grass is bad. But the only thing about it, if you'd start doing this, you'd be cutting the grass every two days. <laughs> Try it, if you don't believe me. You'd have to pee into a watering can, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, save it in a bottle. I can throw it in the grass every morning. Oh, and you. Tell you, your grass will be lush and green. Get back to the dev story, will you? But anyway... <laughs> Mrs. Lehan told my father one day, she was from Bale originally. She had a farm down there with her husband. She was a widow. And she said the morning that Michael Collins was shot, she was giving Dev breakfast in her farmhouse kitchen. She was giving Dev breakfast in a, and in she had a plot of land in Bale She had a farm down there. Isn't that the most bizarre thing? That she claims to have made... What, the full Irish or something, or a fry-up for Dev? For, for Dev, uh, that morning, in the farm kitchen. And do you, do you, I mean, there's a lot to read into that, isn't there? She claims that Dev was that. in Bailnablaw on the morning that Collins yes. was shot in Bailnablaw. On the day, I That's should correct. say, because it was later in the day. That's correct. That's correct, yeah. That's and my father couldn't stand Dev. It was, yeah, it was really divisive, wasn't it? Twice, yeah. I mean, so much so that for many, many, many years, people wouldn't marry into the families of the other side. Oh, that's correct, yeah. That's incredible. And my, fa- my father also made a tape, which a cousin of mine has, he'd be about 85, 86 now, and he said that there was a lot of controversial things that my father made in the tape, and I asked him to would he play it for me. He refused. He said it's too controversial. Where is the tape? Uh, it's in College Road. Oh, have you never heard it, no? Never heard it, and my cousin won't leave me listen. Isn't that a shame? Maybe it's just yeah. buried, best buried and forgotten about. Who knows? But the story of the elderly woman making breakfast for Dev on the same day in the same place, that's bizarre. They, I mean, Gabriel said that De Valera was down there, um, but as yeah. to, you know, the exact timing of it. Would you read anything suspicious into that? I actually would, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Anyway, thanks for sharing, Trevor. Have a great weekend. Cheers. Text 0868 We've got calls on the way. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Talking about food from earlier on and JJ Walsh, as the uh, Cork and a Fork Festival continues up to and including Sunday, the 21st of August. And if you're around the city and would like to be part of it, there are food trails, live demos, workshops, tasting classes, nighttime food experiences, yoga brunches, street events, family fun, all sorts of stuff happening in the city up until and including Sunday. You'll get further details. Uh, Cork City Council are on board. All of the restaurateurs are on board and pub restaurants and what have you. CorkCity.ie forward slash Cork on a Fork Fest will give you all of the details. They're also on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and you'll find out everything that's happening where and the times involved. I hope it goes from strength to strength and becomes an annual event. So a 250 euro voucher, first of two to give away in this hour for JJ Walsh's The New Pub 
on Oliver Plunkett Street. It opened during the week. So 60 seconds on uh, your favourite place in Cork and why. First up, Shauna McGrath. Shauna, good morning. Good morning. Okay, you ready to rock? <laughs> I'm ready to roll. All right, then do some rocking and rolling. 60 seconds and your clock starts Great. now. Oh, when I heard about this competition on Red FM, the first place I thought of for my favourite place in Cork, and the best place is, has to be the stomach and the soul of Cork, which is the English market. Uh, as a child, I have had numerous... Uh, trips to the English market and a, tradi- a tradition that we follow every year we go there every Christmas with my family my dad is a farmer we come from the countryside up to the city and the market really brings the country people and the city people all together we get all the local produce from Kay O'Connell's and we get our turkey from O'Mahony's family butchers and we wash the evening down with the mulled wine that they have at the market uh, we buy the spiced beef and the tenora all the things that are pure cork I, it holds a special memory for me because it was the first place I met my brother after uh, he spent a stint in, in America before, after COVID. And it's the last place I want to go before I go to Australia in September. And undoubtedly, it's fit for the Queen. Yeah, undoubtedly, it's fit for the Queen. and it's fit. Are you heading away? <laughs> I am. I'm heading to Australia. So I'm, I'm going to make sure to get the best part of Cork in before I go. Are you going there to work and to live? Yeah, I'm going travelling for just over a year. Oh my God, so exciting. Yeah, oh my very God. exciting. So it'll be a great way now to <laughs> celebrate with my family and JJ watches before we go. <laughs> a bit of arm twisting going on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, hang on, we'll see how you get Hi, on. That was a great effort. Don't go anywhere. Let's go to Frank. Frank, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good, my man. That's what you have to beat. 60 seconds, your favourite place in Cork and why. And your clock starts now. Well, there's a place that's a stone's throw from Blackpool, but it's a world away from reality of life. It's a small little place called Murphy's Rock, and I'm not talking about the pub. You stroll up Dublin Hill, and as a kid, across the fields, and all that's there is a stream, and nature at its best. You'd head off with your little fishing net so that you catch some thorn eels, and you'd have a plastic bag always in your pocket. So on the way home... You pick a load of blackberries and fill the bag. But coming home, you'd always come home via Goulding's Glen because Duggan's farm was in there and Duggan's farm had an orchard. And she would borrow an old bag of apples to bring home to Mammy. And your Mammy would make her black, or your blackberry jam and your apple tarts. And it was also carefree. And when we were young, there wasn't a place like it in the world. It was just pure nature. Didn't cost a penny. Cost us nothing except the stroll up the Dublin Hill. All right, are you still going there? I haven't been there in a long time, Neil. I don't even know if it's, if it's still untouched, but I, I guess it probably is. Why don't you go up to the Murphy's Rock and then go for a quart in the pub afterwards? Why not do uh, so, it all? So Bernard is very good like that. I think he, he built it in the perfect place. Taking blackers, fishing for tornines. Tor- see, see, that's the typical cock thing again, tornines, we as <laughs> I call them, but they're actually torn eels. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> really? Oh, uh, yeah, I remember. I, was, I wasn't much good at catching, I was good at spin the bottle, though, I was dying. Oh, the spin the bottle, with the spin the bottle was the main thing, but sure, <laughs> we, it never landed on me. <laughs> oh, my God, that's another great story. Oh, it's going to be a hard choice this morning. Can you hold on there a while there, Frank, just like I Shauna is, and see how we get on with Caroline. 
morning, Neil. A hard act to follow for you, I can tell you. 60 <laughs> seconds on your favourite place in Cork and your clock starts now. My favourite place is going to Bandon because in the past I had a bit of an illness. I visit Eileen O'Driscoll, which is a holy lady, and she did you a lovely blessing. And you walk around the yard for about a half an hour to an hour, and she give you a healing. Eileen is a lady that received little Nelly sock years ago, and I love listening to all the old stories she tells me, which I stay for quite a while, have a cup of tea. Then when I finish with Eileen, I make my way to the town and in a kind of like an opening shopping centre, I just walk to the shops and view a lot of stuff. But looking forward to most about everything is when it comes to my food. I really, really look forward to coming out of there going into Billy's just um, at the roundabout of London. Now Billy's does your traditional dinners, they're like pork chops, potatoes, veg, and there's plenty there. And I really look forward to that and I feel great going home. Yeah, I, I, I hate cutting you off after 60 seconds, but whomever you're visiting down there sounds to give... It wasn't a great phone line, Caroline, sorry, but great relief and great peace and great tranquility. That's lovely. Mm-hmm. Delighted for and you. And especially when you're in your own kind of thing and you put your face and outside that... Um, it's not like a case you're going there, she wants money, she wants anything. It's your Lovely. decision at the end of the day. Well, continue to do that. Day. It makes you feel an awful lot better and puts you in a great place. So thank you for that. Hang in there, guys. Thank you to Shauna, thank you to Frank, and thank you to Caroline. We'll pick a winner in a couple of second times. I uh, I like to confer on this because I hate being the one to call it because I love all the stories. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818 104, All right, I hate picking winners. I'm going to allow you guys listening to pick the next bunch, but for this one, a 250 euro voucher. Frank? Good morning again, Neil. They all loved your story about the torn eels and the slogging apples and the spin the bottle and picking black as. So well uh, done, my friend. That's brilliant. And Neil, before I go, can I just compliment you on yesterday morning's show? You wouldn't hear radio like that anywhere in the world. Are you talking about the reunification of the, the two old pals? I said there wasn't a dry eye in Cork. Oh yeah, the story of Jean and Eileen and, and Jean's and, wife Mary. And even Paddy O'Brien coming on and I mean obviously that, that man could do a little, a little And he will, ahead. he's going to get incredible And he help. did it yeah. because of you Neil. I oh, know, no, and it's not, it just, it's not. You it's and just, the team. Well, we work and we work good as a team, but it's all about the people who are listening and the people who engage. I'm always blown away with it. I hope whoever does this job when I'm gone, right, whenever that will be, will have the same loyalty and kindness and generosity shown to them as I have been shown over the years. And I mean well, if, that sincerely. If, if there's a cock person, I'd say it'll be in good hands. All right, pal. Well, listen, enjoy the 250 euro. Get the family together and have a lovely, lovely afternoon or evening, whatever it is at JJ Walsh's 250 euro voucher for you. All right. Thanks very much, Neil. Take care. And with regards to Anthony this morning, Anthony, can I just tell you that people are saying lovely, kind things about you opening up about your awful experience being raped 10 years ago, Anthony. So thank you for sharing. Anthony is very brave to speak to you and tell him to stay strong. Great guy. Another one. Best of luck to Anthony going forward. Uh, Regarding the HSC, a loved one of mine committed suicide under the care of hospital staff in Cork. He was in there after a failed suicide attempt. A mere five hours after he arrived at the hospital, he was successful took his own life while left alone. Um, Another one says, that's so sad. I mean, it's just 
Oh, so tragic. Uh, I'm an avid listener to your show every day without fail. I feel so sad for Anthony, what happened to him. Uh, shame on the people whom he worked with as a male nurse. I only know Anthony from being on your show, and I'm so glad he confided in you because of your kindness and compassion. Oh, but thank you for that. So many people uh, do, and I hope it always continues. I always enjoy hearing Anthony debate different topics, so well done. I'll pray for him especially, says Maria. So thank you for all those lovely texts. Um, and, and just staying on that topic, actually, um, why also do you never talk more about how many women make false rape claims against men and nothing is ever done about it? Well, all I know about situations like that is that every, if anybody is found to engage in perjury or lies in court, they should be prosecuted for it. It should be done, whether it's a man or a woman, not necessarily a sexual assault or a rape or anything, but anything that's proved to be lies in court should be followed up. It's shocking. Uh, it's shocking. I feel it goes down to the way you raise your children, uh, sexual relations, issues regarding consent, issues around... Imagine I heard this morning... Uh, that um, girls in first year secondary school are being asked to send nude pics now. It's shocking. It goes down to the way you raise your children. Yes, technology has a lot to answer for, but in fairness, everything is over-sexualized. Even an ad for chocolate on television is sexualized. If you are open with your children, it definitely will help them going forward to be good people. Uh, Regarding school students being asked to send nude photos, it's not just boys asking girls to send nudes. I have a teenage boy, and he told me that girls are notorious in his year group for asking the boys for photographs. Imagine both ways. Uh, I warned him of the dangers of sending photos and said they'd be used against him. And then there's another very sad, disturbing and alarming text. He said, I'm sitting here listening to the conversation with regards to rape. And every time I listen, it hurts me. My now wife was spiked at 17 and was raped. When she was 19, she was having a few drinks in her friend's house. Went to bed, woke up being raped by a big lad, her friend's brother, off his face on drugs. Then, on a night out with friends, went to a party and raped again. She doesn't talk about it with anyone. She thinks it's all her fault for dressing up nice and thinking she can trust people. Don't obviously give out my details. Where I'm reading that, actually, that is three different rape. Three different rape incidents. Three of them. Text 0868104106. We will run out of time at some stage this morning so we can pick up on the conversation again on Monday. But being Friday, if you don't mind, I just want to go back to something I mentioned earlier on this morning. Yesterday, Brown Thomas opened uh, their Christmas department on Patrick Street. They did the same in Dublin and they did the same in Limerick. Getting a big response to this, particularly with regards to texts and online. So, Shara's standing by, so is Christine. First up, D. What do you make of it? Of which now? (laughs) Brown Thomas opening their Christmas department. Oh my God, I can't wait to go. You can't wait to go? Yeah, I know. Do you not think it's a bit early? No, it's never too early. Right, so you're going to put your Christmas tree up? I will at the end of next week, yeah. (laughs) I know, but I mean, would you normally put your Christmas tree up in August? Uh, Well, I usually leave it till October. So why earlier this year then? Because I, everything has been so depressing with the last few years, and last year, then I put it up in October, and I said this year I'm going to put it up earlier. But was it so, like last year? By, if you put it up in October last year, were you not sick of it by the back end of November? No, I cry when I have to put it away. When did you take it down? Um, March or April. <laughs> I love it. Your tree is up six months. Yeah. <laughs> it's clearly a Machiavelli tree, right? Oh, it is, yeah. <laughs> Because one of them flashy ones, yeah. Right. Five rocks. <laughs> and, and do people ask you, like, why when they come in? 
No, they just say, oh, that's lovely. I should have left mine up. Oh. All right, well, off you go into Brown Thomas and get some extra decorations for it because the shop is open in there, the department is open. Off you go. Yeah, that's ready now tomorrow. <laughs> Christine, good morning. Good morning, Neil. What do you think of that? Six months. <laughs> do you know something? Fair play to her if that's what she wants to do. That's fine. And I mean, it's everyone's choice, isn't it? No, but seriously, but just, people are pinned to their collar now. It's either yeah, food I or think, fuel. Come on. Yeah, exactly. I think... Like businesses doing that, opening up Christmas shops in August. I mean, we're in the middle of August. The kids haven't even gone back to school yet. That's putting pressure on families because you've got kids coming along saying, ma'am, the shop is open inside in Brown Thomas and if other shops would fall in love as well. And then it's like people are being put under pressure to buy, buy clothes and buy presents for the kids and everything. And this year... I know, I get what that girl is saying there about, you know, it's been a depressing two or three years. But, like, financially, I think this year is going to be so hard for a lot of people, even if Brown Tom's hadn't opened up their shop. Yeah, but at least they're not toys in there, right? It's Christmas trees, stocking crackers, wreaths, garlands, decorations. It's not not bringing the kids in to see all of the shiny toys. No, it's not. But if you go in and start buying all these shiny bits and pieces and bringing them home, then the kids are going to expect the rest of it to follow. You know, why are you bringing, putting a Christmas tree up? Put them under the stairs. Go in and buy them, put them under the stairs, hide them. I mean, I know we haven't even had pumpkins or Halloween or nuts yeah, yet or, yeah, yeah. you know, witches' no, costumes. I just, I just think it's going to put people under pressure. I think, you know, every year it's getting more expensive for Christmas anyway. Do you know what I mean? You do and know like, that in the world. I don't know if we have any in Ireland. But there, are, there are 365 day a year Christmas shops. They're open all the time. Oh, there is. Yeah, I know. I know. And that's, you know, as I said, like everyone is different. Everyone feels the way they do feel. I just feel that I think it's going to put people under pressure. Do you think think it's like a stab in the heart to somebody who's panicked about the winter and bills coming, panicked with the kids going back to school? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, people are financially caught out this year now because of the things that's happening and because of, you know, the bills going up higher and higher. And I feel that, you know, I mean, it doesn't affect me. I mean, I have my kids are grown up I have one grandchild um, I love Christmas I love spending Christmas with my kids but I don't like to be have it pushed on me in August Some people say that you need to be tipping away I know I was talking about school uniforms earlier in the week I got an interesting text Marie yeah. says here we go again with all these women on your programme who can't afford school uniforms Why did they, what did they do all summer long I used to get the stuff bit by bit for my kids during the holidays bit by bit. Nobody gave me anything. My mother had nine kids and never got anything from anybody. We were all turned out well going to school. Uh, there was no money. What's wrong with people today moaning about things? Um, point she's making is if you're buying things bit by bit, even for Christmas, there's, there's less of a burden come December, you know? Well, that's true. That is very true. You know what I mean? If you have, if you've got a lot of kids and you, you know, you're thinking about how you're going to give them presents for Christmas, buy it bit by bit through the year. But you don't need a Christmas shop opening up in the middle of August. All right. Apparently the staff in Brown Thomas love it. They're excited about it. They love working around Christmas things. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> good for them. It's All just right. not my thing. <laughs> All right. Take care, Christine. Thank you so much. Sure. Good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Uh, well, I was attracted to your Christmas isn't Christmas anymore. Why? Oh, it's just, I can't believe it. Like, when I saw the post, I honestly thought it was a complete joke, you know, so I read into it a bit more just to see, and no, it wasn't. And I just think, like, at the end of August, like, we're still in summer, Neil. It's, like, kids are, like, we're all stressing to get kids back to school, just as Joanne said a minute ago, and it's just ridiculous. 127 days to go. 
it's so bad. Like, like it's all, I think today it's just money, money, money. It's all about advertising their stock. And it's like, well, where's the religious side of it, Conneal? Like, like that's come well, the door. Re- religion is a choice to people, you know, as True, opposed to I having guess, it rammed yeah. down their throat like it was. It's there for those yeah. who wish it and those for do not wish to have it. They just don't have to. So, you know. Yeah, I suppose you're right, yeah. Uh, I mean... What what is the story in primary school now? Is it still very religiously taught? Taught, I should say. Um, well, like yeah, and like my daughter comes back and she she puts her hands together and she prays and stuff. So they're definitely teaching it in school, one hundred percent. And like my daughter's in a school now where it's choice, like South Abbey in Yall, you know, and they still do religion with them. Yeah, which is nice in a way. We're slaves really people. to commercialism, aren't we? And the actual oh, spirit God. of Christmas, whether it's religious or not gets oh, lost in the rush, yeah. doesn't it? Oh, God, yeah. Like, it's like, I feel sorry for people that see that post and are struggling with bills, especially back to school. Like, I have two children of my own and it's just, it's crazy. The only thing I will say about it is at least they didn't put on, the, they didn't decorate the Christmas windows yet at BT. No, thank God, no. Look, if they want to advertise their Christmas stock and decoration, that's well be it, like, but if people want to do it early and shop online that's fair enough but like I think it's stressful on people to be alright thank you for that Cher appreciate it one final one on this Phil good morning good morning Neil how are you what are your thoughts now because you've celebrated many Christmases I discussed now whether it's religious thing or not I mean if they're celebrating Christmas what is Christmas about so now if all they're thinking about is buying and decorating their house and having more stuff buying stuff for their children now bit by bit how much are they going to have by Christmas Eve? It is absolutely ludicrous. And Arnott's are only thinking of the... Well, Brown Thomas, but... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, they're a shop, Thomas, I suppose. But they are saying I'm at Brown Thomas on Patrick Street that stock is already flying off the shelves with shoppers yeah. already in festive spirit four months out from the big day. Yeah, doesn't that tell you a lot about the people now today? They're so materialistic. Honest to God, me. I know. Those children now will have things. And my God, they won't be able to pay their bills after Christmas. They probably won't even be able to feed their children properly. Because you can't do it all. That's what I'm saying. Is it, a stab, is it a stab in the heart to people who are under pressure in the month of August? It is shocking. Yeah. It is absolutely shocking. And the people that are saying it's wonderful, here they probably have plenty of money. They don't give a sugar. They just want more bling in their house and bigger this and bigger that. They're forgetting about the meaning and what it means to the children. The excitement for children is going to be gone on Christmas Eve. That won't be anymore. I mean, it's after getting to that nearly already. You know, they're waiting for Santa to come to them and go to visit him and see their presence. And... It's all about, you know, buying, buying, buying. Here we are in the month of uh, August talking about Santa Claus. I'll plough on, Phil. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you for that. Josephine, good morning. Good morning. Just a final one on this. Everyone's forgetting that Michael Guiney's beat BT to it, didn't they? (laughs) They've got a window of uh, uh, Santa Clauses in already. (laughs) Uh, A quarter window. So Michael Guiney's have beaten them to the Christmas display in the window. Correct. Correct, right in the middle of Oliver Plumker Street, Michael Guiney has his Christmas decorations in already. Big fat Santa Clauses and Mama Clauses out in the window. And do you love it or do you loathe it? Oh, I don't like his now, but I love, love, love Brown Thomas's. And as Harrods in London, they always open in August as well. 
for the Christmas decorations. Surely there should and be a they, law against it. There should be a law well, against it. Get on to Neil Prendival. Get a law made. <laughs> they're, they're employing 2,000 people in Harrods in London for the Christmas, dec- uh, Christmas decorations. It's August, <laughs> woman. That's fine on the 1st of December, maybe. <laughs> Not at all. They'd be rushed. They'd be rushed. Fantastic. I love it. I love it. I love all right. It. Okay. Thanks well, for that. Cheers. Have a good weekend. You Bye-bye. too. Bye, Josephine. Text 0868104106. They're prattling away in my ear here about breakfast this morning. Apparently, the guys on breakfast, um, they heard me mention an article in Corkbio yesterday about the things that Cork people mispronounce. It was a big, it was a really funny article. You can read about it on Corkbio online. But anyway, that's that's just one of the one of them was people mispronouncing my name, and I constantly read out texts from people saying, "Do you not get fed up to the back teeth of people calling you Nile?" And I don't actually. I'm so used to it; it doesn't bother me at all. But it bothers people apparently when they hear it. But anyway, um, so anyway, apparently the breakfast were listening to that yesterday, and Laura Manny seemed to have taken offence on my behalf and was reminding everyone on breakfast this morning that it's Nile. I've done it again. It's Nile, not Neil. It's Neil, not Nile. But the lads here were listening to it, and they said um, they've loaded up a small clip. Apparently, it's some kind of a breakfast song they put to bed together on on breakfast of an age. Neil seems very fine about it. Neil's a nice guy. He's not taking issue with the fact that people call him Niall but I'm taking an issue with it because it's not his name The Neil Prenderville Show Please, please, please when people talk to you on air can you please tell them your name is Neil and not Niall Don't know about you but it drives me absolutely bonkers So sorry I'm so sorry that it upsets you guys He's a four-letter word wakes you up in the morn What's the matter with you? He is Cork's favourite son Love the show, boy You all know him He's been around forever He speaks his mind And he's not a court langer <laughs> Never holds back Every day the same He wants you on a phone To the phone lines we go Find one, let's see He never says anything at all He's far too nice to say it But he forget his name Morning, Niall, or uh, is it Neil? They call him Neil. They call him. How are you, Neil? They call him. Morning, Neil. They call him. How are you, Neil? That's not his name. Neil. 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 I'm telling you, Neil. Neil Rendezvous Show. Red FM. Oh, I wonder what my late mother would make of that, or my father makes of it. Neil, Niall. Naily, Nelly, whatever you want, pal. I don't care as long as people are calling and getting involved in the conversation. Thanks to the breakfast crew for that good fun. Text 0868104106, our final bunch of free food Friday shout outs, courtesy of ourselves and Roosters Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. A big shout out, good morning to DMB Electrical Maintenance and Toker. B, uh, PGB Sports are listening. Uh, hi, please give a shout out to my hardworking hobby, Kieran, and this team in the magazine road. I will, but I don't know where they're working. To everybody at the logistics department in Easy Living Interiors in Little Island, Clancy Construction on the Bandon Road, the childcare staff in Knocknahini, busy preparing for children coming back next week. Oh my God, is it going to be then? It's really time flying. Cargoline Joinery Limited are listening as well this morning. H&R Finance Department would love to win also uh, from everybody at Food, Food Prep in Wilton, Online Grocery Department in Dunn Stores, Bishopstown Court, and Area Carpets and Floors would love a munch down in Frommoy. Uh, that's as much as I have, lads. We'll pick a winner for Fruit Free Food Friday in a few minutes' time. Big response to the toasted sandwich. What I did buy in a particular outdoor establishment down Kerryway, it was an atrocious toasted ham and cheese. Shared it online. I see a lot of the news, uh, new online news uh, channels are taking it, uh, different ones publishing the photograph and 
uh, getting irate people commenting on the state of the toasted ham and cheese. The best value in B- is Bishopstown Court. It's the Dunn's Cafe, a toasted sandwich with well, whatever you want in it and a pot of tea, five fifty. That is value. Hi, lads. I was in a cafe last week. At first, the sandwich cost nine ninety nine. Then I asked for an extra slice of cheese. I was told that would be an extra one euro ten. Unbelievable. The sandwich wasn't even nice. So that's like, uh, what is that, uh, 11 euro for a toasted ham and cheese. I paid 8 euro for a spiced beef salad sandwich with coleslaw, crisps and a salad. All for 8 euro in the Toman bar. That's serious value. You said it, Neil. You said it, Niall. Long Valley does a great toasted special. All their sambos are great. They are. Other sandwiches that I love. We were down, we were out down in, um, uh, where were we? We were in the uh, shopping centre down in Mahan. Yeah, we were doing the ice cream challenge down in Mahan Shopping Centre. We went over to O'Brien's. They got the most fantastic triple-decker toasted sandwich. It was incredible in O'Brien's. At the Musgrave Arms in Blarney, you get a fab toasted sandwich. Um, And keep those coming, actually, and I'll come back to them again on Monday. Also, share your own photographs, the good, the bad and the ugly. You can always get involved in the competition or the conversation. Uh, WhatsApp 0868104106. Right, a €250 voucher, our fifth and final one for JJ Walsh's, the new heritage bar on Oliver Plunkett Street. And thanks to Monty for sending me the vouchers. So, three more contestants, 60 seconds on your favourite place in Cork and why. All right, call 0818-104-106. Whoever tells the best story wins a 250 euro voucher for JJ Walsh's Heritage Bar and Food. Get Dolly now. 60 seconds on your favourite place in Cork and why. 0818-104-106. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. All right. Red FM. Okay, Deirdre, good morning. Hi, good morning. Where are you calling from? I'm in Carrigaline. All Lovely right. Sunny Carrigaline. Okay. Yeah. Well, I hope you have a good weekend ahead of you, and maybe you might win a 250 euro voucher for JJ Walsh's on Oliver Plunkett Street. 60 mm-hmm. seconds on your favourite place in Cork, and your clock, Deirdre, starts now. My favourite spot is Fitzgerald Park, and more importantly, how we used to get there. So, as a kid, we lived up in Knocknahini, and my dad would walk us down Strawberry Hill, down towards the Shaky Bridge, and we'd get there. And as kids, he'd plank us in the middle of the bridge, run to the other side, and jump up and down. He's a big guy, so he'd jump up and down, put the bridge to shake even more, and we'd all scream with excitement and, and fear, but we loved it. It was part of how we got into town. And then, of course, we'd walk into Fitzgerald's Park, and we couldn't go into the park without going. I was born in the 70s, so the Fitzgerald Park in the 80s, the playground, had the, the tallest slide you ever saw in your life. And, of course, if it was a hot summer day, you'd burn your arse coming down it. It was a big metal thing. Um, and then the flowers getting lost and playing hide-and-seeking around the rose bushes, you know, down around by the water, and you'd see the ducks if there was anything there. And again, during the summer, sitting on the banks, right, and watching all the mad guys jumping off the bridge itself into the water. So I can't go to Fitzgerald Park, but I think of my dad and of course uh, taking a spin on the bridge. Do you bring any kids back there like you were brought Oh, as a I child? do. I've got my tree and we've, we take pictures every time on the bridge and my dad has passed now, bless. But um, it is a favourite spot. And is it still as shaky times. as it was when you it's, were a kid? It is. I'm not as big as my dad. <laughs> so I can't get it shaking as much. <laughs> you can't like, get we it. We were tough. Like, we you can't get a good small. shake out of it. All right, I can't I love get it. a good shake. I need my dad for that. But we've oh. lovely photographs of us all on the bridge lovely together. Lovely story. Hold on there, Deirdre. I know I'm rushing people. My apologies for that. Fiona. Good morning. Good all afternoon. right. <laughs> well, you're a Kerry girl living in Cork, are you? 
I'm a Kerry girl, yeah. What I'm part? Uh, Kenmare. Oh, beautiful Kenmare. Yeah. Love Kenmare. But okay. I'm, I'm here 19 years this, summer, this okay. month, actually. So 60 <laughs> seconds on your favourite place as a Kenmare girl in Cork. And your clock starts now. Well, like you said, as a Kerry girl coming up 19 years ago, uh, I can't really pick a favourite place in Cork. Um, I was introduced to West Cork first, so the love of the sea and the beaches and the mountains. I came up into the city to study, so Bishopstown has a soft spot in my heart. Um, I worked and lived in the city for many years, so Bondi Beach and Fitzgerald Park and Bishop's Lucy and all of that gave me a, a, a grow for, for what Cork City can offer an outsider. Um, the people the people but the welcome I got as a Kerry girl obviously the the, the rigmarole came of being a Kerry lass with the footballer footballer history and all of that but um, the Cork people were always very welcoming um, and now I'm living in East Cork so that has given me a, another grow for Cork and what it offers um, the biggest part for me is my kids introducing them to all the, the wonderful parts of Cork and seeing their face when they see the, the wonders at home you didn't quite make the 60 seconds. I can keep going, but I can't. And on top of that, your uh, your fellow compatriots over in Kerry won't be happy with you talking about the love of Cork like that. They, they know I love Cork. They know I love Cork. My family come up to me on a regular basis. <laughs> up to up to Middleton, they enjoy the Jameson and they enjoy the last of it. Hang so. in there, the Jameson. Well, that is pure cork. It should be Jameson and Tanora, but we won't worry about that. Ho- hold on there a second, if you don't mind. I want to talk to Kathleen and Ona Hinsha. Good morning. Hi, Sorry. hi. Listen, you're not in Ona Hinsha. I think your chosen topic is Ona Hinsha, is it? Yes. Okay, sixty seconds. Let's plow ahead. Your I'm clock starts. <laughs> oh. your, your clock starts now. My favourite place would be Onahincha because when I was growing up we had nothing and my dad and my mum worked in the lilac ballroom and in the screen and dad always made sure we went to Onahincha every Sunday whether he had to borrow a car. He had a car for a while but if he didn't have a car he'd borrow one to bring us there. So then through working through the lilac ballroom didn't so many that owned it, it had a caravan so he, dad took us every, every summer for two weeks holidays to Onahincha which was a brilliant memory. Um, met loads of Cork people down there as it was very famous for Cork people. Had great crack, used to go up to the hotel. Mom and Dad had begun working on the Sunday night and so we'd be on our own, which you could do in those days. Go up to the hotels and be scutting and blackguarding inside around the hotels on our own. And I take, take my own kids back there now for picnics. My dad has passed me since, since and on his dying bed I thanked him for that because I, I just thought it was lovely when we had nothing oh that's and, a lovely um, thing to tell your dad I loved it I really you know it's a lovely it's, memory it's emotional for me and really when isn't it I know it is you it know is. how you know where I'm coming from yeah, because I know, I know you're you'll uh, be talking about your dad a lot as well you got the there in the end in fairness and I think thank it's you. nice also to relieve the memory and to share it on air and thank yeah, you for okay. it Kathleen yeah, cheers thank you. take care we had five bye. winners this week or five competitions this week with five winners a 250 euro voucher for each of them and thanks again to JJ Walsh's on Oliver Plunger Street we can only have one winner we played twice today and this morning um, to the uh, serial uh, shaky bridge shaker Deirdre <laughs> <laughs> yes
<laughs> you have a 250 euro bar for JJ Walsh's and when you're up in the city you can go up yeah. and try and shake it again oh we can't not go and shake it every <laughs> single time you'll be able to find time. you'll be able to find your way from Carrigaline will you I think you were originally oh, a Northside girl though were you I am yeah I'm from um, Nakamahini itself ah so well we you'll have no down. problem finding your way around ah, God, the city yeah. I'm right. a city girl always will be don't worry about that 250 euro voucher congratulations enjoy it bring, it, bring the Thank family you. with you and have a good day alright Absolutely. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. I wish I had more time, but I don't. Final bit of business this morning. Free Food Friday winners for this week are the Cork Airport Police Fire Station. Mary. Hi, Neil. How many of you are there? About 25 in total. How many Um, have you got there with you now? Oh, uh, about six or seven, Neil. Let's see what kind of a shout-out you can make with six or seven Cork Airport Police Fire Station staff. Go for it. Yeah! Well done, I love it. Roosters, piri piri on the way. It'll feed at least 15 of you. Enjoy and have a big munch, all right? Neil, thanks a million. Can we just talk about our fundraiser as well tomorrow? We are doing a charity cycle um, from Cork on stationary bikes from Cork Airport to Dublin Airport and all in aid of the Irish Community Air Ambulance, Neil. You need the carbs today for that then. Sure do. All right. Well, good eating then. And have a great fundraiser tomorrow. Food's on the way to Cork Airport Police Fire Station, courtesy of ourselves and Roosters, Perry Perry, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. I'm out of time. Have a good weekend. I'll see you Monday. This is another Red FM podcast. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, for more podcasts, check out redextra.ie. It's full of great Red FM content.